Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, and Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, less of the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. Noel... No, it's been an odd week for TV this week. Uh, how, how's it going outside of the TV? Let's start with happy news. How's it going outside the TV sphere? The high today in Everett is ninety three degrees. Oh no! Uh, so it's going it's going really great. I'm I, I'm I'm re- I'm we're recording while I'm in a sauna that is my office. That's fine. Yeah, I also have <laughs> my ceiling fan and air conditioning off for audio purposes. So. Yeah. Listeners, we do this for you. It's such it's such a sacrifice here at the Televerse. So much it is. Yeah, (laughs) I I have to change clothes after we're done recording because I've just sweated through all of them. (laughs) Well, I think maybe maybe the universe is trying to tell us that like I don't know about your uh, regimen, but maybe I need to go to the gym more. It's like, well, you're already gonna have to change. You might as well go get some miles in. Like maybe that's what the universe is trying to tell me. Gyms are just too far away from me, and it's too hot to walk outside. <laughs> oh, good times, good times. Yeah. Well, Th- uh, that's my rationalization, anyway. Well, there, you know, it, it, it counts for something, right? You know, yeah. Just I keep think so. keep keep reinforcing. In case you can't tell, listeners, we're avoiding some some bad news in the TV world this week, which is uh, the nightly show got unceremoniously canceled. I guess unceremoniously feels like a. It was like an understatement. Yeah, I was, I was like, I guess it could have been worse. They could have said, you're not doing any more shows. Don't finish out the week. Right. But they, yeah, they, they, they announced, uh, Comedy Central announced on Monday this week, this past week, that they were canceling the, the nightly show, not finishing out its episode order, which would have taken them through the election. Um, and just, this was the last week of shows. And as someone who has been regularly watching the nightly show, I feel like we, at least uh, earlier in the year, we're, we're, and certainly like at the end of last year, we're champions of the nightly show. Um, yeah. But I watch it every day. I watch every episode. I might get a few weeks behind, but then I certainly catch up with them all. So for me, this was a really unfortunate uh, surprise. And I, I was not expecting it to just get pulled like this. Yeah, I, I figured that they'd let, if if they were going to be canceled, hypothetically speaking, if you were going to cancel a show like this, you'd at least let them finish the election cycle, because why wouldn't you? It's, it's bread and butter for these shows, and why would you stop someone who's doing this kind of discourse and bringing on these kind of voices and going, you know what, no, we're good, we're just going to do At Midnight now. Yeah, well, I have do, a theory. Do social media games. Yeah, no, my theory is that... Um, it could be bunnies. <laughs> it always could be bunnies. Uh, my theory is that there's another show that they have in development that they want, like, that has some level of political, you know, some aspect of political commentary to it that they want to launch while the election is still going and take advantage of the craziness. I don't know See, if that's the case, that's, but that... it's. That's the thing is like they've already said that they're not going to launch anything in that time slot until next year. What? Yeah. Okay, then it makes no like I what I was expecting. I'm almost positive I read that in Variety that they're not launching anything in that slot new okay. until next year. Okay, then I really don't get it. But like I yeah. was expecting if it didn't get picked picked up that it, it would it would just be that that it doesn't get a new 
season that it, they right. finish out the run they go okay tried something it didn't work whatever but to cancel it like that in the middle of the, i mean for me it's and i talked about this i was a guest over on tv times three this week it's always a pleasure hanging out with uh, jason the tv holic and um and, and, t- and talking tv over there we talked about it a bit um at the start of that show uh but for me it's, it's just this election cycle has been so crazy there's been so much news um there's been so much commentary about about just the racial element of somebody like Trump when who has said so many inflammatory and racist things that I feel like having these voices on the show, having people of color regularly given a form to have a conversation is a really significant thing. And that's something that I'm not seeing other places. I'm not seeing that on CNN. I'm not seeing that on MSNBC, certainly not on Fox. So having a space where even on a comedy show you get to have a group of people sit around and maybe there's one or two white people, but there's definitely going to be a majority people of color and not just, not just shooting off punchlines, but trying to actually discuss important, relevant issues. I think that's so needed. And if it's, it wasn't going to be W. Kamau Bell, apparently his show totally biased. You got, got yanked after not too long. And now the nightly show has as well. Where can people look for those voices on TV? Nowhere is sadly the short answer. Um, excuse me, trying to stay hydrated. <laughs> um, there's just, there really isn't a space now. Well, correction, there's plenty of space. I mean, yeah. TV is not a f- finite thing. There's anymore. a bajillion channels. There's a bajillion channels. There's There's a limited number of like time slots, but... And as Netflix and Amazon just prove, it's just like, there's there's money mm-hmm. in it. Um, but it's just whether or not, for them, the model works, basically. So Comedy Central's rationale was, well, not enough people are watching this digitally for us to justify it. Because not enough people are watching it when it airs for us to justify it. So it's just like, meh, we're good. We're yeah. good. Because that's the thing. It's just like, and I mean, they even like, the other thing that we'll talk about in a second is like Amy Schumer's stuff does really well digitally uh, well enough that they're able to like bring the show back mm-hmm. thoroughly and they're just like mm, this this wasn't doing well on any platform for us so we're just gonna go Meh, we're good we're good and it's also one of the things like Stuart was on um, for the last episode this week for them uh, to talk, and I, I was actually talking to Corey about this a little bit, and I was basically just like, Stuart's not around to protect the show anymore, like, behind the scenes, which I think yeah. this kind of thing wouldn't have happened if he was still running The Daily Show. No, it Well, wouldn't. not running, but being... The face. That, yeah, if he was still the face of The Daily Show, then this would not have happened. They would have at least pulled through until the election was over, basically. That's just me theorizing and guessing but there's just no cover basically anymore for them i just it it's very disheartening for me um and the, again this is something that i said on tv times three but when i'm watching the nightly show i i my politics skew very much in favor of the topics that they were talking about but there are plenty of things that they uh talked about on the nightly show that i didn't agree with and i'm they're way more fond of bernie sanders for example than i am um but yes. But I'm 
I was always happy to hear different opinions. When when we got to the things that I'm with them on, like Bill Cosby, like, you know, the fact that they kept going back to Detroit, the fact that they, they in their last week, they brought back Cos- the discussion of Cosby. Last week, they brought back the discussion of Detroit's water, um, or sorry, not Detroit, Flint. Flint. Flint, Michigan's uh, water uh, situation. The, this show was talking about these important topics and making sure that they were as relevant to the the viewership as they were to these writers. Um, and I just, it it just really bothers me that, that right now there isn't some other space for that. That, that. that Comedy Central doesn't value it. And that, so far at least, nobody else has stepped in to say, we do. I would, I would watch the crap out of the same kind of show with the same people or with different people. On, on like an HBO or a Showtime. And the fact that we have plenty of time for a Bill Simmons interview show on HBO, but we don't have time to give a voice or to give a space for people of color to have not clickbait takedowns, but conversations about important topics. It's just really, really disheartening. Um, what, what would you like to see happen with, you know, to, to, to try to fill this void? Well, one, let's just remember that Bill Simmons was heavily, heavily persecuted. That poor man. (laughs) This is dripping with sarcasm. Um, That poor, poor man. Um, Didn't get what he wanted. Oh, no. Poor guy. Anyway. um, I'd, I'd almost want them to do a more of a weekly format. I fell off watching Nightly Show around like April or March or April, maybe into May. Uh, around the time when the idea of watching too much television in conjunction with having to move across the country was just too much and I started making cuts. And I was just like, I, I, no, I can't. Not right now. And But I think one of the, one of the other reasons I dropped out was the, it was very, at least I hit a rut of, it was kind of the same topics over and over again. Mm-hmm. Of, all right, I... I, I get why we're doing the unblackening, but I don't really need a week's worth of small Donald, small hands Donald Trump jokes. And I was just like, let's really kind of take them seriously. And part of the other issue I was running into was like a lot of the panel discussions were kind of going in circles a little bit as well. Um, so it's one of those things where I think maybe doing the show someplace else or this kind of a show someplace else, but doing fewer episodes a week or doing one or two or one episode a week with just stretched into an hour with like two or three different topics at play uh, would be something I think I would be really interested in seeing, but keeping the same type of format, keeping the same types of guests and where that ends up. I don't know. Like, I feel like this is something that would work fine. Similar to Chelsea, Chelsea Handler's model of we're going to do two, three episodes a week that drop and then we're just going to be off. Mm-hmm. And as opposed to doing like one a day on a streaming platform. And I think that that could work here. And I think it would be a good experiment for Netflix to try um, to compete with like last week tonight, basically, because they're all about trying to out, out HBO mm-hmm. by being better than HBO. And I think that that's the avenue to do that. But I don't see where outside of like Blackish um, and uh, the Carmichael show that we're going to get that kind of a representational voice on topical issues of the day. Yeah. Um, and then how sad is that? Because we're talking about how many shows there are. There's so much TV, but 
whether it's networks or whether it's viewers, people aren't willing to support this kind of show. And that's depressing. Um, I want to take this opportunity to commend um, Larry Wilmore uh, and the writers and the crew over at, at The Nightly Show. It wasn't always the best show on TV or in late night, but it was always, I think, a conversation worth having and for me worth worth watching. And um, <laughs> some really, I've really enjoyed the fucking attitude of this past week's shows. It's been really entertaining. Um, I, I was so glad that he got angry at Trevor Noah for setting pastries. <laughs> that was good. That's just bad. Why would you send pastries? <laughs> and but another thing that I think is really significant when you look at the nightly show, and it was so obvious when they bring brought out their all their correspondence for the end, it's a fifty fifty gender split. Yeah. And having like in the last week, what what are the segments they want to make sure that they fit in? They fit in pardon the uh integration. Uh, and they also fit in Tampon Tuesdays. So yeah. the focus on the show of of women's issues and or so-called they're human issues, but so-called women's issues and on supporting and giving voice to women of color very actively and very specifically um, is something that I've very much appreciated. I mean, the, the head writer is a woman of color. Robin Thede is the head writer. And... Is that true anywhere else in comedy, in television right now? I mean, there's Shonda Rhimes, obviously, but right. in, in, but in late night? No. Yeah. So I, I just really look forward to, you know, getting, I've, it's been wonderful discovering all these incredibly funny, talented people, and I look forward to seeing them pop up other places. Um, and I, I, I really appreciated what uh, Jon Stewart had said. And also the, the closing that Larry Wilmore gave the last episode, I thought was very on point and yeah yeah and cheers to the uh to sam b and colbert for sending for keeping them floating in booze very nice yeah that was really significant that was really important i was really glad they did that <laughs> yeah do you have any final thoughts on the nightly show until at some point hopefully we'll dvd shelf it since that's a thing we can now do any 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 uh thoughts on the nightly show uh, i i'm the other the only thing i'll say and you the Stuart point that you mentioned is correct in that a lot of these people can probably find interesting work elsewhere now because of this mm-hmm. that maybe they wouldn't have been necessarily able to before this show and Wilmore himself I acknowledges that he's not done so I mean he's clearly percolating something which yeah. is exciting and yeah. whatever it is I would be there for it absolutely um, there was also the kerfuffle with the Amy Schumer show um uh, the 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 you know them saying her saying i should say that uh the show will be back at some point but not for the foreseeable future not for at least a year they're not even gonna go back into production um i thought that mo ryan's piece about uh amy schumer's response to uh kurt metzger right is the metzger, yes. metzger's comments um was was really on point so i would point direct people towards that article over at variety um, I don't feel the need to like rehash all of that. Do you have any particular thoughts about the Amy Schumer scandal? It was just very oh and weird. I, I want to say Amy Schumer show scandal. I don't feel like it's a scandal about her, but about sure. the the series to be clear. Right. Yeah. right. And I just thought it was all very weird. Like I didn't know quite what was happening in when I woke up Monday morning. I was just like, why is all this happening at once? Mm-hmm. I'm very confused. And so I had to like research and it was just like all the headlines were basically just like Amy Schumer's canceled their show. 
And yeah. I just went, well, wait, she, she's not Larry David. <laughs> she doesn't get to do that <laughs> in terms of just like how Comedy Central works compared to how HBO works. It's true, but keep in mind, Chappelle canceled his show right, right. after signing a deal. Yeah. So it, can't, it has point. happened before, but yeah. yeah. Um, so I was just like, well, she, she, she can't do that. I mean, she could, but she can't. It just mm-hmm. kind of depends on like legal stuff, basically, and how much she's willing to do for that. But then it was just like all this context and everything came out. And it was just like, oh, okay, well, I'm seeing what's happening here. And I think that the big thing that is to consider, and I didn't read Mo's piece, so you can tell me if she addresses this is whether or not, like, Schumer wants to be this kind of political figure in this kind of stuff she's answerable to on a number of things. And I just, I don't think she wants to be in mm-hmm. any way, shape, or form. And I think she actively, like, kind of pushes against that um, often enough. And I think that that's kind of, like, the double-edged sword that she kind of found herself in, is that she's routinely bashed on from the let's say the alternative right um for her comedy and the pro-feminist message of her comedy and that sort of thing but then on like the left side it's just like well what are you going to do about this guy who just made these really horrible comments Mm -hmm. and there's an expectation there she's caught between two different types of expectations and two different things to reply to in ways that just either way do, don't hurt, don't help her, really. I mean, I, with either camp, basically. She's in a lose-lose kind of situation in terms of, well, if you fire the guy, then I'm just going to, then it's, well, am I getting doxxed? Is there more harassment? How is this going to work out? Well, and also and, this is a someone she's collaborated with for years who she right. respects comedically, regardless Correct. of his, you know, politics and what else he says. And really just... I'm, like, looking at it right now, and it's just, like, really awful shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's just, like, there's not a win situation for her in either of these situations, which kind of explains the whole, the lack of nuance in her tweets of going, the show's, the show's, not, even, the show's not even happening right now. Mm-hmm. And you just go, yeah, okay. I, it's just, you could have been more nuanced, because obviously the trades and everyone else just went, wait, did you? canceled your show because it sounds like you canceled your show mm-hmm. yeah i think it speaks to um well and this is something that that doesn't feel that new for me with schumer um this uh, maybe a lack of awareness of what goes in in hand in hand with the fan base that she has built for herself and in not necessarily being aware of what is going to come with that and it it, it Reminds me of, you know, in this last season, um, some, some people, including friend of the show Emily Stevens, uh, had written in their reviews of the season that there was much more content about fame and how, you know, how her shifting place within, you know, the comedy world and with, you know, the just public consciousness had as it was affecting her daily life. And she didn't agree with that. She didn't think the show was commenting or, like, had changed in that way. Um, which which is- ridiculous yeah no so, offense but, but it's, it's ridiculous like you called up Lynn manuel miranda to just come drop by your show like yes your show has changed <laughs> in this way um but but she was not she wasn't seeing that she just she disagreed respectfully about that issue um and so that again that was just seemed, seemed like a lack of awareness of her 
position and what was coming through in her comedy. So, yeah. um, and that's, so this kind of connects to me, like the sense of, wait, why should I have to make a statement about this? It's like, well, you're not, you don't have to, but then you also have to accept that when you don't make a statement, that is making a statement. Right. So you can't avoid, you know, it, there's not a good way to go forward, but you know, inaction is not the same as, like, that's not a, a choice that doesn't also make a statement. So I, it just, it seems a bit, um, like, it just seems like she didn't realize that, which is a bit surprising to me. But given the, you know, what I previously, you know, said, what, how she was reacting to some of the criticisms of season four of her show was not entirely shocking to me. Yeah, and I think that the other thing to remember is that she's also on a book tour right now. Yeah, she just really doesn't want to deal with this. I, like, everyone will tell you that who's done book tours is like, book tours are terrible. Mm-hmm. They're awful. Like, they're they're not as bad as, like, tentpole summer movie press junkets, but you're constantly traveling for those in a way that you're not traveling for a television show or even for, like, a stand-up type of thing where you get a little bit of chance to breathe. It's just like... One book signing, one book reading, you're off to the next place type of issue. And it's just, it's a, it's just a horrible, horrible experience from what I understand. So, yeah. And yeah. She, who knows how much access she was allowing herself during this time, so. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, in, in case, uh, lest we forget, there also was another uh, cancellation this week. And it's one that I feel like has really gone unremarked upon, um, at least in our, our social TV circles. Uh, and that is, I am Kate was canceled over on MTV. So this week we had what seemed like for a moment, Amy Schumer canceling her show, one of the most actively pro-feminist shows on TV and the loss of the nightly show and the loss of I am Kate, which has been just a fascinating show. I haven't watched every episode, but when I, every time I've tuned in, I've really enjoyed, uh, enjoyed what the show was and what it was saying and, and it made me it, it taught me quite a bit about about the trans community and about you know the just some of the different realities of uh, of being a trans uh, trans woman specifically in in America right now and it, it introduced me to um, certain figures within the trans community that I've now seen pop up other places and been like ah I know who that is. It's really great. So I, it was, I, you know, it's, yes, it's a, it's an MTV reality show, but it also was having conversations, like filming and showing conversations that you're not going to see anywhere else. So I was very disappointed to see I Am Kate get sort of quietly canceled. Um, I feel, I feel like more people would have benefited from checking it out. Uh, did you ever check in with I Am Kate? No, I didn't. And my immediate question for you was, did MTV provide a reason why or? Yeah, I think it just wasn't. I didn't read up, you know, I'd follow through, click through the links, but um, I think it just wasn't picked up for a new season. So it's not like mm-hmm. they like cut it off nightly show style, well, no, but no, I think no, no, low but... ratings because it, okay. it, you know, I, I think it just wasn't getting the ratings of the other uh, reality shows that they have. But yeah, because that was my question. When I saw the news, I wasn't like. I didn't know the ratings or anything. I was just not surprised given MTV's restructuring that happened um, earlier this year on a number of levels and the shifts in programming choices that they're making as well. And priorities and representation. Yeah. Correct. And so that was basically my, my response was even if it was maybe more highly rated or if, that was a factor. I still feel like it would, they would have gone, eh, maybe not. Yeah. 
just because of where they're re where they're repositioning the network as a not the network the channel as a brand mm-hmm well, it's one that certainly uh, I considered for our Make You Watchathon this year because I, I had a feeling that it just—it's been a very, very full TV year. It's easy to let a yeah. show like this slip by. So it was one that I considered picking for that. Uh, I know friend of the show Caroline Sita is a big fan of that one, so maybe at some point she'll come on and we can talk about it. But um, yeah, it was a tough week for representation on TV. Um, but speaking of the Make You Watchathon, next week is the fifth anniversary. Of the Televerse. So we're having our fifth Make You Watch-a-thon. Uh, very excited. So uh, I will... And for listeners who are newer to the Televerse, when we reach the one-year anniversary, uh, every anniversary, instead of celebrating, like, the 50th episode, or in our case, the 250th episode, we celebrate years uh, here at the Televerse. So uh, what we do is the co-host picks something to make the other person watch that, <laughs> that they wouldn't necessarily have set time aside for or they had never seen, or just one a show that we are just tired of waiting for someone to come on to get us to talk about. So I will be making you watch RuPaul's Drag Race, mostly because I had pretty much never seen it and I was pretty sure I would love it and I knew I wouldn't set the time aside otherwise. Uh, So (laughs) we'll be doing that. And uh, Noel, what are you making me me watch? What I'm making Kate watch is an anime near and near to my heart, um, Chihara Furu, um, which is about high school students that play a very obscure card game based on poetry. Um, which I'm going to love. I'm just saying it right which, now. Kate, if you don't love, I will cry on this podcast. I will quit and you'll get your wish <laughs> of having Emily on instead. No, no, no. You're not ever allowed <laughs> to leave. We've, I've said this clearly. You're not allowed to leave. Uh, you, you have a nonverbal binding <laughs> agreement that you are finding out about it right now. And, uh, no, you are forever enslaved to oh, the Silvers. Wait, Yay! why didn't the other guy get that to you? <laughs> See, I learn. Over time, I learn. It takes a while, but then it sinks in. Um, So, yeah, so that's going to be next week. So, listeners, you can uh, chime in on Twitter, uh, on Facebook, email, all that good stuff, and let us know your favorite episodes, your, you know, if you have any thoughts on either of these shows, but it's going to be super fun. Um, Um, For, you can find Chihaifuru. Furu on crunchyroll.com. Yep. And we're going to be focusing for RuPaul um, on seasons four through six because those are the seasons that are up uh, streaming on Amazon Prime uh, without an additional fee. So uh, I might try to catch... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we are. Let's be honest. Um, podcasting costs money and makes no money. So, you know, that's how these things go. Uh, but we... I, I will try to see if I can catch a few episodes of the most recent season of RuPaul's Drag Race, but um, mostly we're going to be focusing on, on four to six. So uh, yeah. that should be a lot of fun. But this week on the podcast, uh, we are joined by uh, Nick Campbell from Super Serial, which is, guys, it's a podcast about cereal called Super Serial. I love it. Um, and, of course, TVGuide.com to talk about the state. So adding to our sketch comedy uh, catalog here at the DVD shelf, that was super fun. Yeah, it was. It was a lot of fun. And I've known Nick for almost 10 years now. So, yeah, it was nice to have him on. 10 years. God, I'm old. Yeah. So old. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm older than you. So <laughs> go us. We're, we're just a bunch of old people, clearly. Uh, but, yeah, so that's coming at the end of the podcast. Uh, but now we'll take a break and uh, come back with our week in comedy and reality. So we'll be right back after this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when the drummer starts 
In comedy and reality, I'm going to talk uh, briefly, just do a quick roundup of The Tick pilot, the new one um, at uh, Amazon, uh, as well as Jean-Claude Van Johnson, which also had its pilot released at Amazon um, today. Then I'll talk a bit about The Get Down, which had the first season, or first half of the first season drop on Netflix last week. Um, and then I'll, I did a catch up with difficult people. So I'll talk a bit about uh, Patches, Candles, and this week's episode, Carter. Uh, then Noel and I are going to dive deep. Just one last time for now uh, with the Great British Bake Off finale and then Steven Universe, Know Your Fusion, and this week's episode, Buddy's Book. So first up, we have The Tick, which is the uh, uh, the series based on the comic book and then the animated series and then the live action series. There have been so many incarnations of The Tick. Um, this is at Amazon. They released the pilot and people had the opportunity to vote on it and all of that good stuff. Um, but I really enjoyed it. Well, yeah, it's <laughs> a good <Vote>. point. <laughs> vote um but i really enjoyed it peter serafinowitz i think did a really good job as the as the tick it takes a while for him to pop up a bit longer than i think um might be ideal for people who are unfamiliar with the property i know i was watching it with some of my siblings and they're less familiar with with the the property like i think they've seen like my sister was expecting um the the actor from the first live action um tick patrick warburton patrick warburton yes uh to pop up so um She's seen that one, but they're less familiar. And so they were starting to, it was starting to lag for them um, until uh, Serafinowicz pops up as the tick. He does a good job. Uh, you know, obviously, the guy is a talented voice actor, so he does a good job with the voice and everything. Um, the stuff we get with Andrew, uh, I think, is good uh, because I knew what was coming. I knew that there would be a tonal shift to more straightforward comedy. Um, I, it, For me, I was able to just sort of enjoy the world and what we were getting with the setup we were getting with it. Um, uh, but I could see if you don't know that we're going to get to a very silly place eventually by the end of the half hour it could be a li little more work for you to get through the the earlier like setup scenes but they do a really good job of setting up the villain for the season the terror and uh it's very effective it's surprisingly like vicious and emotional the way that they set mm -hmm. up the the bad guy and it's and it's not anything explicit it's not anything like gore for gore's sake but just like their character touches to like we get a flashback to a dastardly deed um, several years ago, uh, and and there are touches to it that show cruelty that wouldn't need to be there, but it's it, which gives us a sense of the character of the terror, this bad guy, but without um, lingering on it. It's just the kind of thing that would be like in the back of a frame or that kind of a thing. But if you actually think about it, it's it's they don't they didn't need to do that. They didn't need to really show this guy as being just not just a typical dastardly villain but a much more cruel figure so um a very effective setup i like the cast that we get i think arthur is very good um the actor is a, the, the the aesthetic of the look for the character is a little too leonard from big bang theory like too actively going for that for my taste but um a little more distinction would have been nice there but maybe that'll come um and i also started to have a real problem with shows where characters go off their meds um and then they get superpowers or they like, you know, it's like they, this idea that when they go off their meds, they can see these connections that no one else can see. And their family just thinks they're crazy because they've gone off their meds. But really, what they're right. And, and it's, it's just this dangerous notion that 
people who should be on on medication for imbalances in their brain and the neurochemistry are better off not taking their meds. I like it, it, I don't know. For me, this pops up a lot. Do you have any any thoughts on the, on this, Nola? Do I just see this more often, or do you think that's like more of a recurring actual thing in, especially in like genre stuff? No, I think that's fairly common in genre stuff. It's this idea that, and it goes to like outsider narratives. Well, what if the rest of the world is crazy and I'm the same one? Mm-hmm. type of thing which is a common refrain and um for a variety of characters within a genre program and i think that that's where a lot of that comes from is just the idea that the world's very messed up so why wouldn't you want someone who is quote unquote by society standards actually messed up mm-hmm. to not be the one solving the problem the, to recognize the problems and that sort of thing. And I, I think that's just a super common approach that isn't bordering nowadays on the irresponsible. Yeah, and I feel like, I mean, I don't have any, any basis for this. It's just a gut instinct, and maybe I'm going to be making an ass of myself here. But it feels like the kind of thing that is written by neurotypical people about neuroatypical people. I feel like people who actually know how significant and important it is to be on the right medication, if that's necessary are not the people saying, oh, it's a good thing he went off his meds because that allowed him to hear the voices that he's supposed to hear. Like, this idea that I just would like to see a situation like this, and it could happen with the tick based on how things go. They, they could go this way. Fingers crossed they do. That a character is on their meds and also still able to make connections that other people don't. Like, this idea that they don't neglect their personal health and the, thereby save everybody else and... We don't need medication. Don't listen to those funny doctors. So hopefully um, that's something where... Doctors are just a way of keeping keeping you down for the man. It's just, it's a little too, you know, Scientology and psychiatry for me. But that's, Mm -hmm. that's, anyways, I have strong feelings about that. That doesn't matter for right now. The tick, the pilot is funny. I think people should check it out. Um, If you like the other ones, I think you'll probably like this. Um, Though I would be very interested to know what the opinions of people who are big fans of the comic or the animated series think think of this one um if if they feel like it's a good tonal successor or if they feel like it's um a little too grim at the beginning um so there, there's not as much whimsy until the very end as as one might like so i, I but anyways i i liked it i think people will like it. i think they should check it out uh jean-claude van johnson is another fun pilot it stars jean-claude van damme as uh as jean-claude van damme but he he comes out of retirement uh, but he doesn't come out of retirement as an actor he comes out of retirement as a black ops operative who um who, who uses acting as a cover to um like fight bad guys around the world and so it's just it's really i had a lot of fun with it i thought it was it, it was a good a good tonal balance he's off doing these doing this terrible action movie a uh, version of uh, you're gonna have to be more specific for him it's an action reimagining of huckleberry finn uh where he, he plays huck and the love interest is tom sawyer uh, a woman, Tom Sawyer. And, oh, uh, it's I was just, about to say, I would watch that. Yeah. But no. now you ruined it. <laughs> but it's, it's like, it, it, I had a lot of fun with it. Um, it, it and the, the setup is fun. There's some, like, playing with time that's fun. There's an element of him aging and can he still do this stuff? Not just the stunts, but the actual physical the black ops. Yeah. yeah. And there's a, a nice awareness of, like, there's at one point, there's this fight scene um, where the guy's... 
the, there's like a group of bad guys who so they start to all go after him and they're like wait again wait wait we're just gonna get in each other's way one at a time let's do it one, one at a time. time and so like i was really enjoying that uh so uh, i think that the take is a little stronger as a comedy pilot but both of these are a lot funnier than some than the other amazon comedy pilots that i'm remember can you remember any amazon comedy pilots i mean i guess people say transparent but that feels very different to me right no the only comedy pilots i remember um were from I want to say two or three years ago, which is the last time I watched like the Amazon pilot season, mm-hmm. uh, mainly because the Amazon pilot season is a sham. Um, it's like, it's more corrupt than the electoral colleges. Um, is that it was the Red Oaks. Yeah. People session. like Red Oaks a lot. Yeah. Right. And the other comedies that were in that batch. So the one with the really upset upper class people who were all kind of dealing with various sexual problems and i can't remember anything about it at all or even the name because they didn't pick it up and it's just uh, red oaks was fine i liked red oaks Mm -hmm. for paul reiser basically yeah um because he's he's always pleasant um but I've never, the only Amazon comedy I think I've sat down to watch has been Transparent, and I only did the first season, because mm. I don't really like Transparent that much. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, agree to disagree. Yeah. Uh, but, no, but I think these are, are probably, I mean, other people like Red Oaks more than I did, uh, certainly the pilot more than I did, um, and Mozart in the Jungle, too. A lot of people like right. that a lot yeah. more than I do. Um, so I was, I was impressed with these two, and I think people should check them out. Uh, um, is this, do you think you'll check either of these out or will it be like, wait to see if they get picked up situation? Uh, well, the benefit of this is that I have to watch Amazon, tune into Amazon to watch RuPaul. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I'll actually be in the interface. So Mm -hmm. I may actually end up watching both of these. There you go. Well, if you do, because I'm using them, I'm using Amazon for, for a very rare instance. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, also new recently is The Get Down on Netflix, and that's what the music cue into this segment was from. This is a show um, that is, the pilot is directed by Baz Luhrmann. Just to warn you, it is an hour and a half long pilot, Noel. It is a double length pilot. Um, oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but it is set in 1977 in uh, the Bronx and uh, looking at the emergence of hip-hop culture and, um, and rap and uh, with... Uh, and also looking at the music scene at the time with disco and, and the way that the, everything, these different musical styles overlap or contradict and um, following a group of teens uh, as they uh, are attempting to become music, uh, developing hip hop and becoming a DJ and becoming a, uh, a rapper um, or MC. And um, then also trying to enter the disco world as a singer. And there's uh, a lot of family uh, issues in there as well and, and drama and uh, some comedy from that. And this idea of trying to get out of using music as an escape from um, unhappy circumstances. So it's it's a entirely, like with two exceptions, cast of people of color and a lot of, a lot of faces and names people will recognize. Just a couple are Jimmy Smith's and Giancarlo Esposito, uh, of course, Gus Fring from Breaking Bad. Um, but there's, you know, the, the I think the, the younger cast is really great. Oh, Debbie Diggs it shows up every now and again um, in Flash Forwards to the Future. Um, but yeah, I really have enjoyed this. It's, it's just it's a super fun show. It's dealing with some, some significant issues in a world that I am completely un, 
not knowledgeable about at all. So I really enjoy learning more about the sub- subculture and the development of hip hop. I don't know how accurate it is. I can't speak to that at all, but it's a really, uh, a really fun, energetic show. And they really, you know, the first episode directed by Lorman has a, has a different feel than the other ones because it, it really feels like a musical um, in the way that it's structured and the, 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 the types of scenes feel like they're all going to break into group musical numbers, which they don't, but, um, most of them don't, but, um, no, it, it, I had, I just, it was again, very infectious and very, very fun. Um, and to, to watch these young characters explore their passion for music and, and expression was just really great. There's a lot of, of rap or poetry in the, the dialogue of certain characters. And that was really effective. That could come off so horribly, but it really worked for me. Um, so yeah, I just think people should definitely, definitely check it out. If, if nothing, just to like, again, there's not been that many just fun shows this summer. Um, I guess Stranger Things is in a very different way, but um, I, I think it's worthwhile just for that. Um, so if you are interested in any of this, these various elements of, of the Get Down, check it out and let me know what you think, listeners. Um, I will be eagerly anticipating the second half of season one. Um, the first six episodes were released. The next six are going to come out next year. Um, but yeah, it was, it was. I think the production values and everything, the high production values was a very expensive show come through. And like I said, I will be, there's some music and performances in there that I will be thinking about at the end of the year for some of the, the musical categories and dance categories. So I'm looking forward to, to seeing what they do next. Um, and the last thing I have, I'm going to almost done monologuing at, you know, <laughs> so close to being done monologuing. Uh, the last thing I have here is difficult people, which I caught up with. And I wanted to specifically mention, um, uh, I, I was enjoying these episodes, but I want to specifically mention this week's episode Carter, because it features the best Lin-Manuel Miranda cameo, uh, since you know Hamilton exploded and he's been a lot of he's been popping up a lot of places, but they use him really well in this episode this week, <laughs> and I really liked the uh, the reveal that Hamilton um, may have been stolen from Manuel uh, Manuel Miranda's uh, fourth grade uh, colleague because of his book report. Uh, it was just it was fun. It was well done, and uh, I, I yeah I really enjoyed the the continuation of Hamilton as a as a the successor being this show that the leads do about Carter <laughs> and it's just ridiculous. And, and yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, we haven't been talking about a lot of comedies, uh, cause there haven't been, there aren't that many on right now, but, uh, I think they're doing a good job in season two with difficult people. So, um, if people enjoyed the first season and still haven't gotten back into the swing of looking for it weekly on Hulu, I think, uh, you'll enjoy it if you, if you, if you make some time for it. And even if you're just a fan of, of Miranda, then it's worth checking out this week's episode, Carter. Um, but I'm going to have some of my coffee here while you talk for a little bit. You don't need any coffee. Clearly. Yeah, you, you've been going great. You don't I've been need just that going. coffee. But I, I, what I need is to to know what you think of, or thought about the the great the big finale to this season of the Great British Baking Show, um, and the reveal, drum roll, that you've been right. It's Nadia. The winner is Nadia. Woo! Congratulations. So, what did you think of this finale? Uh, well, after the stress of chocolate, this was kind of a little bit of an anticlimax. Um. Which was fine. I mean, I, I was glad, actually, that I was not very stressed um, after how stressed I was during chocolate. Um, but it, it just became really apparent very quickly that Nadia was going to win. I mean, she more or less, I think, won the signature. And then she clearly won the technical. Like, yeah. She's just like, you won the technical. Here you go. <laughs> and it's just like, okay, well, 
short of an actual catastrophe of some sort, mm-hmm. she's not going to lose the. She's not going to lose that weekend. So by that point, I felt really, really, I, I, I felt really good about it. Uh, mostly, it's just I was just a really happy to be right because uh, I always am happy to be right. But B, I was really happy that she won and just how really happy and how much this clearly meant. And it was, it was a really, really nice moment. And I liked some of the other uh, bakers coming back to talk again, as they often do. And I really appreciated Matt being like, whose family is closer to me? Okay. That she's not, he's going to win. <laughs> Cause he's just, he was just like, I don't want to get, I don't want to get in trouble with someone's family. And it's just, I mean, that kind of thing where you realize just how much of the camaraderie is there. And I think I tweeted to you, um, my biggest takeaway was at the end or during like the deliberations between Paul and Mary was Tamal talking to Nadia's kids and being like, oh, I'm going to come over for dinner. And I just went, (gasps) (laughs) she's like, friends made in the tent. Yeah. I, I was so surprised by how affected I was by that when I first saw it. Like, yeah, it's such a small moment, but it's, it was really touching. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I, I, I kind of lost it a little bit when yeah. he just was like, I'm going to come over for dinner. And I just went, yay. Yeah. And also I'm just immediately like, oh my God, it's going to be the best dinner ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just, it, because especially like the journey of Nadia through the season has been really it's very affecting I think yeah. because she came in so insecure and somebody who clearly regardless of what the judges say anytime or regardless of her rank in different things she's someone who will not see the things she does right most of the time but will see everything that's wrong which is why she was so certain several weeks that she was going to be going home because she knew how much better her stuff should have been or how much better it could be. So she wasn't seeing other people's mistakes. I like, I, sometimes people say that and they're like, Oh, I'm definitely going home. You're like, let's be honest. The person like they threw out their big Alaska, they're going home, you know, like sometimes it feels disingenuous, but with her, it always felt very honest that this idea of, she can see the, the worth in other people, but not always in herself. So to watch her gain her confidence through the season, and watch and watch her grow, and to watch these connections being made within the tent with these different people. I think that's that's why this this that little moment with Tamal is so affecting because it shows you how how this does extend beyond this show for these people. This is their lives. This is their day to day, and and this will have a very big impact on having done this show, but also the confidence that they gain from it and this this sense of self respect even for Nadia is just so powerful and such an important thing. I'm getting choked up thinking about it. But, um, and, and then the other thing that really got to me in this finale was Mary Berry getting choked up. Yeah. That's never happened before on the show. I've okay. watched all of great British baking show. I've never seen that happen before. So mm-hmm. unless I missed it. Um, and that, I think that was just this really lovely human moment from her. We don't usually see. And it also kind of just underlines for us watching at home. It's like, yeah, even Mary Berry, is choked up by Nadia coming into her own and the, the way she's grown. But yeah, it was really affecting for me. And she's grown enough that uh, the BBC has is giving her like a special yeah. for a show. And, and it's the called title, the... 
Chronicles of Nadia. <laughs> I love it. And <laughs> I loved it. And I, I, just the title alone is amazing. Um, and the Eclipse Ford in the trailer that's uh, available online is uh, looks really good. And I think someone else, I think the same person who told me about Chronicles of Nadia, I'm never going to get tired of saying that, um, said that Tamal has a pilot in works for a mm-hmm. show as well, which is very exciting. Um, so a lot of good came out of that season, I think. Yeah. And it's just, again, it's, I, I wasn't overwhelmed or I wasn't um, particularly impressed with the baking in the last episode. I feel like everybody kind of yeah. had a somewhat off day, but yeah. because I was so invested in them and all of them really, uh, I, that made it very compelling television. So um, it, by the end, it just felt like this, this victory lap and um, for, for all three really, but certainly for Nadia as the winner and just, it was just a beautiful thing to watch to see her acknowledge how just when people don't notice or can't can't tell how much they have been second guessing or not valuing themselves until they get to the other side of it yeah. and can look back and have that perspective it was really touching i'm getting choked up again let's move on unless you have any final thoughts let's move on to the next show which is steven universe and for once i think the these two episodes won't make me get choked up because they were just super fun. So we had Know Your Fusion and Buddy's Book. How'd you feel about these two? I really enjoyed Know Your Fusion um, in part because, one, I love Garnet's reaction to any time <laughs> anyone else fuses. She becomes so happy, except for the fact that she doesn't... And maybe this is just because of where it was in the season... Or, like, that sort of thing. And I can't remember, but she doesn't, like, freak out when Amethyst and Pearl fuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyone else fuses, and she's just like... Well, that's because it's a new fusion. Right, and that, that's probably a really significant point. It's like, she probably freaked out, like, the first time um, Opal. She met Opal, before. yeah. Right. But now she's just like, <gasps> new people! <laughs> and... Yeah. That's really exciting, and I think one of the big things that I that to take away from Know Your Fusion is, and this episode really drives it home, uh, is how much of the idea of a fusion is both a new entity but a collection of the people that make that entity, mm-hmm. and that's what really like drove home the the concept that is very much there and that we we know from having met Garnett and then Ruby and Sapphire. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we understand that these are all three different entities that fuse to make one entity. But it emphasized the fact that Garnet has, a, and Smoky Quartz and Sardonyx all have, like, consciousnesses outside of the individual, basically. That when they're merged, they're someone different. Mm-hmm. For the most part. And I think that that's a really significant point to drive home. And in the case of this poking and prodding of trying to get Smoky Quartz to open up and talk about herself is a really good way to kind of wrap up the um, Stephen and Amethyst like arc that we closed out the Stephen bomb with. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really good. And the only other takeaway I had from that episode that I just realized because of how really prominent Sardonyx was, was, can you, did you, and maybe this was just me, but can you imagine the the homeworld gems cowering in fear of the, oh, ho, 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 
when they hear the sardonics coming down the battle battlefield. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. that I, I can see them just being like annoyed, but having to respect sardonic. Be like, yeah. She's so oh yeah, but she's also gonna kick my ass. Okay, you know, <laughs> I I think that that duality is is entertaining. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, there, there was for me. Know your fusion. I was hoping it would like lay out all the stuff about fusion, which it didn't. But no. what it, what it had instead that I thought was really lovely was like you said, it, it worked really well as this capper to this amethyst arc that we've been getting, and this sense of of even garnet. In Pearl, even sardonics, but like individually and then together as sardonics, having to recognize we're doing it again. We're not valuing these. Like we're saying, Smoky Quartz, you're not enough. But show us what your what do you what's your real thing that you're good at, and we're not yeah. valuing you for you. We're right. wanting you to be something else instead of actually listening and actually, you know, like I, I thought that was so well done and how looking at how even just your friends and your family and people who really care about you, in this case, care, really care about Smoky Quartz, um, can take, without even realizing, just take you for granted and put you into this this, this pigeonhole of, of like what they know uh, about you or what they think they know and, and not see your growth and not see the potential sometimes. Um, and so for, again, it's just this lovely thing that happens every now and again where the show makes sure to to have its badass leaders screw up yeah. and to have Garnet be wrong and to have Pearl be wrong. And to have, and it, have it comes from a good place. They're so excited. They're like really, they want to get to know Smoky Quartz, but not... They're not listening, and so I, yeah. I just, I, just, I thought that was just a really nice. It's, it's, it's not an episode that stands out to me the way that some of the other ones in the Stephen Baum have, but I thought it was just a really nice capper to, to everything. Right. It's a very good, um, it's a very good like denouement, basically. Yeah. Of wrapping things up, it, it was really, really good for that. Um, I'm glad you liked uh, Buddy's book. You didn't um, like Buddy's book? I thought it was fine. Um, I didn't really, like, respond to it anyway beyond how badly I need Garnet and Pearl to dress up in period of clothing all the time. <laughs> I can't wait for the cosplay. Oh, man. Right. No, God, that's going to be so great. No, that's, that's basically was my big takeaway is, oh, I just need them to dress like that all the time now. Mm -hmm. And that's how, if they ever have to, like, reform, that's how I want them to come back. <laughs> is dressed exactly like that uh no it was it was it was it was a fine episode i just didn't really key into it in any way shape or form what about that episode apart from rose's um pride of lions in the desert mm -hmm. um did you key into with this episode then well it just thought it was a nice low-key episode especially coming off of the steven bomb that's been so intense that it was, you know, just, it gives you a little space. And so we get these lo lovely ideas about, um, again, it ties, for me, it ties into, you know, your fusion of this, this guy, Buddy, who's not valuing what he does best, not seeing the strength in that and the, the worth of that. It's like, yeah, well, I can write this really great writing, but whatever, that doesn't matter because what I should be doing is being this great explorer and that's what you know i should be able to shoot this awesome bow or like it's just a yo-yo whatever so for me i was seeing a, a tonal and the a thematic connection there um that was that was nice and and again this idea of there's value in 
not being the first. Or it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're the first if you don't tell anyone. If no one ever hears about it, it's like you've had that personal experience, but for all anybody else knows, that's you have to. It's good to this idea that it's important to share with other people, and to like if you have discovered this great thing or have this revelatory experience, that it, there's value in sharing that with others, and um, it, it doesn't have to just be in being first for first sake. That doesn't actually mean very much. Um, so I, I, I thought that was a nice message. I also like the, just the subtle thing, this notion of they're getting older, the school year's coming up, Connie's going to mm-hmm. be off at school, and this, Stephen's never been in a library before? How, how is that a thing? But, like, this, but he loves books, but he's never been in a library. And, and like, this otherness of Stephen, of, yeah. you know, maybe, who knows if they'll touch on it again anytime soon, but this idea of, He's missing out. So he's getting all this great stuff, you know, that was his life with the gems, but he's never been in a library, even though he loves books. Yeah. And as, as he and Connie continue to grow, they are going to drift apart with, unless they very actively maintain their connection just because her life is going to get very busy with school and he's still going to be doing his thing, you know, like, so the sort of the reality of time, I thought came up in a nice way very subtly at the with this one as well and then you just got you know none of uh none of who reading a romance novel in the back you know like little fun things like that i had fun with it too so it, yes it's not like capital i impactful the way that so many sure. of these have been but i still thought it was it was cute and fun and and i'll take a standalone every now and again right and we should i mean i i was a big fan of a lot of the standalones during the Stephen bomb i just i guess i just wasn't in the mood for this mm-hmm. at the time which I mean happens. Maybe when I if I watch this in like a couple of weeks, I'll be like, oh, this is much better than I gave it credit for, uh, or responded to it differently. I mean, that's one of the things I think to remember, and I always try to remind myself is that reactions to things really hinge on like time of day, the type of day you've had, and that kind of thing, and that the responses are allowed to like change, and they're not locked in in any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Um, well, for the purposes of today's podcast, we put Steven Universe in with the comedies. Uh, what wins your week in comedy and reality? Um, this is actually tough um, because, again, Baking Show was kind of a bit of an anticlimax, but I'm going to give it to that just because of how happy Nadia made me. Uh, what about you? The Great British Baking Show made me cry when I watched it, or <laughs> bake off when I first watched it. I was like, what is, I cannot remember the last time I have cried watching a reality competition. Definitely The Great British Baking Show. Even if even if it's not like the most on the edge of your seats episode ever, it just, mm-hmm. I, they made me feel so much with this. <laughs> um, so yeah, definitely, I love that show. And it was just such a... I think I think any of them could have won, and I would have still really enjoyed the season and really, uh, like thought that they a deserving person won. Um, mm-hmm. But the extra kind of the extra awareness that we get from from Nadia being the winner and what that tells her and what that means to her and to the other people around them, like it 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 just made it all the more affecting to me. So yeah, for me, great British baking show and love you, Steven, but this week it wasn't close. Um, now we'll take a break and come back with our week in drama.
This week in drama, uh, we'll talk a bit about Brain Dead, The Path to War Part 1, The Gathering Political Storm. <laughs> then the night of, this week's episode is Samson and Delilah, Greenleaf, Men Like Trees Walking, and Mr. Robot. I'm just, Handshake. I'm just calling it Handshake. Yeah, <laughs> totally. It's handshake. Don't call I, it anything else. It's handshake. Do not like your naming scheme, S-Mail. Anyways, first up is Brain Dead, which we haven't checked in uh, on for. Since like episode two or three or something, how or is this season? Four, but yeah, yeah, yeah. it's been How's a while. How's season but... been going for you? Um, better than we last checked in on it. Um, the show, to its credit, and I feel like I mentioned this at some point, but the show, to its credit, has ditched a lot of the political satire broadsides they were launching, and especially in the first three or four episodes that were really dragging down the show's attempts at humor, and they needed a. F- once they did that, it just became like this kind of kooky thriller type of thing, um, which had some stupid um, things like happen for the sake that the show wanted them to happen without much in the way of development. Um, noticeably just uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead's character not putting on her little ear protective headwear uh, just so that we can have an episode where she has to like dance and sing and drink alcohol and have drunk sex with Aaron Tevitt's character uh, because, well, why not? <laughs> but it's just like, this is something that we wanted to happen and we wanted to show a way of getting the ants out, but we had to get someone infected first and we needed to do that in a really dumb way. But that wasn't, that was like a couple of weeks ago. So this week's was the anti-penultimate episode. <laughs> There's a 10 episode season. Um, and it's it's 13 is it 13 i thought it was 10 it's one of the two it's either one yeah it's either one yeah um so we're i feel like we're coming up on the finale maybe i don't know yeah but so this week uh, is just more of that kind of stuff so the probably the biggest thing for both of us was the fact that greg showed up from crazy Mm ex-girlfriend And, Santino uh, Fontana, yeah. Right, showed up, and that was a lot of fun. And and we learned some stuff about the space ants and a little bit about them. And, I mean, mostly I'm just glad that the political stuff is largely just being played in a way that makes characters look weird and silly as opposed to there's something wrong with America, which is very much the tone that the first couple, the first stretch of episodes had that gave the show an unnecessary air of smugness considering everything else that was happening on it. Um, so Tony Shalhoub's uh, weedest character is just becoming more and more ridiculous, but Shalhoub's just leaning into it so much more that it's just funnier and funnier every time something ridiculous happens. And so I'm enjoying the show much more than I was when we first checked in on it, which is nice. Um, how are you feeling about it? Um, I jumped ahead. I was going to try to catch up. Uh, sure. But then I realized I was like four or five episodes behind. I said, that can't happen today. So <laughs> I just jumped ahead. So I missed, I, I want to actually go back and watch the episode where uh, where Mary Elizabeth Winstead is infected and see the, see all that Um because it was, it felt odd to have skipped over that. But um, I really actually liked this episode quite a bit. I thought the yeah. stuff with um, that character's father and Parkinson's and that conversation of, well, is it better for me to just die and not just die of like a heart attack, but have my body betray me and just you know crumble slowly over time 
or that's worse than this. You know, I like that conversation and this question of how much human versus how much bug and and that that, that this episode is having. I like that also that the episode gave us an answer, which yeah. is you know any bug is unless you know as soon as the person doesn't want to get the bugs out, it's yeah. too late. You know, um, then then they're affecting the person's mind or whatever, and and the conversation of okay, well, but parasite versus you know coexisting organism you know where how does that fit uh, I, I think there's there was a lot to enjoy with that stuff here and i thought it was a better tenor for the show than yeah. the the tone we were getting at the beginning of the season like you'd said uh this stuff with, <laughs> with santina uh fantana was, was a lot of fun him, him pretending that no no i'm not infected by bugs i just i wanted to steal the, the knife Your knives. that's why i had a knife <laughs> it was just the delivery well, was great on that. I, I mean, he apologized for cutting her and saying, I dropped my knife. She's like, you're infected, friend. He's like, you stabbed me. And the fact that you think I'm going to believe what you just said is hilarious. Um, so I thought that stuff worked really well. Um, it was a lot of fun uh, with him being tied up. And then it took an appropriate turn towards being more sinister with his yeah. monologue about that's, that's why you're going to lose because you're not willing to kill my host. Yeah. in order to kill me. Um, and that, I think that is a... They're in a good part of the season to start bringing that up. Yeah. So the, the, based on, you know, having jumped ahead, I think it feels like they're doing a better job, a much better job of, of pacing out the season and having it make sense and come together. Um, I'm ready for the boyfriend to find out and believe in the space bugs. Um, sure. It's a little bit... It feels like, you know, and again, like I said, I skipped ahead, so I might have missed... Right, but you... Just, but... They had the clips of the Senate hearing of all the, all the bug-infected people raising their hands and going like this and then going like this. Yeah. And, and, and you saw that, and that's in the previous episode, but it's just like, I feel like he would know something was up at that point. He, yeah, it feels like it's it, it's the Irish West situation right. or the Felicity situation. Just like, just tell, just like get the get the whole Scooby Gang together on this, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, because they've that... been more than happy to like and show brain scans to other people. Mm-hmm. Like everyone has, everyone in DC has seen these brain scans of ants and people's brains. Yeah, except Aaron Tevitt's character. <laughs> <laughs> well, and watching the sort of the battle between, and, and I think having the father uh, be on Team Bug now, I think allows for some really great potential, or a lot of potential, and not really great, but a lot of potential for conflict with the brother and this idea of you know them battling over the brother and um, yeah. I think they need a reason why they haven't just bugged the brother, but you know, if you're willing to just say, they don't, don't ask, don't think yeah. about that," <laughs> then I think the personal stakes of that and the fact that there does seem to be at least in the father somewhat of a still a fondness and connection to the daughter. It's not like he wants to bug her. I mean, they yeah. already tried; it didn't work. But like, you, there does still seem to be this like the fact that he hadn't already bugged the mom and already bugged you know, like. There's more, but he was going to bug the mom. I mean, the cherry oh, he... blossoms were there. That was going to happen. God, that 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 entire sequence of her lifting it up with her coat and throwing it out the window was hilarious. Like <laughs> the just the timing and her Winston's actions of doing that, I just thought were really great. Sorry, continue. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> but yeah, so I think that having a more much more personal stake to these this heightened ridiculousness uh, will will be effective. And so I'm looking I'm looking forward to continuing with this one at least for the next couple weeks. Good. Which yeah, I would no, not have I've, anticipated. Yeah, I wouldn't have either. It's just as soon as they turn 
tone down the smug, oh, both sides are so broken, everyone. Pay attention. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, as soon as they stopped doing that, it was just like, oh, this is this is what I thought the show was going to be when you started doing trailers for it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, okay. I'm happy. Well, thank Ish. you for getting me yeah. to, to check in on it again. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be more part of that conversation. Um, How did you feel catching up with the night of Samson and Delilah? <sighs> Talk to me a little bit because I think I may have missed this. <laughs> Has there been a time skip? Um, I think I think there are small time skips as we go along. Like they're showing, and, and I'm gauging that based on you know Nas getting tattoos and right. the feet healing and stuff like that. But I think they're they're not holding our hands with it. But I think they're trying to keep the trial in relative real time. Which is a lengthy process. Right. It's a very Uh, lengthy process. Even if it's being fast-tracked, because that's what the DA's office wanted. Yeah. But but I was like, "Mm, you're going to get tattoos in jail, and they're going to be on your knuckles? You're going to start on your knuckles. Either you are... The show has not been clear with us about who you are, which is very possible, or uh, you're trying way too hard to fit in here, which is also possible. But I feel like they're not... The show isn't clear about Nas in a way that the the show is much more clear like who he is like it doesn't feel like though they they know and they haven't told us it feels like they're not sure right that's why I asked about the chronology stuff is because or like the timeline issue because not watching both of these episodes back to back especially I was just like wait why is he I understand the shaving the head thing mm-hmm. to a certain degree but it's just like you're getting two sets of tattoos and like you said, one right in your hand that says sin? What what are we doing exactly? And I mean, some of this is very much like survival instinct, I think, mm-hmm. and a desire to blend in and get through this. But See, but we, I don't, he's enjoying it too much for it to right, be blend in. Right, and so the arc of Nas's shifting, basically, because... He responds to getting his mother's clothes in a way that feels very deferential. Mm-hmm. That in a way that doesn't make sense for where he is, but like family comes in and he's just like different. Mm-hmm. But his attitude towards um, Stone um, and how he talks to Stone when Stone visits is completely different. Mm-hmm. And it's just. I don't feel like the show, like you said knows who Nas is, is knows who Nas is relative to his situation and they're just they're throwing a bunch of stuff and ideas out for how he needs to survive and whether or not he's enjoying that stuff as someone who was straight-laced kid who was so excited to get invited to a party inside the city from mm-hmm. the jocks he was helping and now he's this hardened prison criminal? Yeah. 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 And that part's just still rubbing me really the wrong way. I just, I don't see where that character arc is. And I don't see where, because of the elliptical nature of the show's timeline, it's not doing them any favors with it. Because we're just seeing Nas going from, I need to make a deal with this guy to, oh, I'm just going to start wailing on this guy in the, in the shower and getting, like you said, very permanent tattoos, one on my fist. Yeah. And it doesn't, it 
yeah, it just doesn't, I don't, I can't connect into any of that. Um, how are you feeling about Stone and Chandra, though? It's good. Uh, I like, I'm, this is also getting to a timeline issue of just, we're just doing all of this stuff now. <laughs> they, they needed this stuff earlier in the season, right? Right. It's just like, you guys didn't think to check who owned the house yep. till now? Yeah. And it's like, it's just, cops, you didn't check Facebook before Until now? now? I, yeah. I feel like now you would have checked Facebook, like, a week into this. And you're just now checking it. And it's just, what are we doing? You would have gone after his school records way earlier to start building that case. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the, again, the elliptical nature of the show's timeline is just coming to play is that you say that they're not holding our hands, which is accurate, but they're not doing themselves any favor by not holding our hands. Mm-hmm. By, I mean, how, just a Chiron, basically, overlay that says date. Well, it also, the beginning of the season felt much more real time. Yes, and and th- that has changed. So if you're yeah. going to change your overall like pacing of how much time is happening between episodes, that's something where like if the whole thing had been these bigger jumps, like you know episodes of Mad Men are roughly like a month apart a lot of the yeah. times. Like that's something you get a sense for as you watch the show, and it's as long as it's consistent, you you know what's going on. So if you're going to change that in the middle of a season, that's some, something where it's not asking too much to just you know give some indication that something is changing. Yeah, and that's kind of where, like, a lot of this is good, if not interesting, but a lot of it is also just, I have no idea how long time has been that Nas's father is now a food delivery man, mm-hmm. and he found that job off screen, BT dubs, and yeah. but his wife is shown looking for work. So not a lot of it's congealing, and while I think someone said, like, the final episode is, like, two hours long... <laughs> like an hour 47 or something like that um which i'm gonna have to figure out a way to watch because that's not on the press site mm-hmm. um is basically great so two hour finale you do they have a significant amount of ground to cover including like the defense's side of the case yeah, um, i forgot that we were heading into the finale yeah yeah they, they, yeah you're right they have not paced this well no they it's just a lot of it's happening right now of, oh, we have a couple of different suspects, including the creepy mortician. Oh, creepy and guy is creepy, by the way. Creepy guy is super fucking creepy. <laughs> super don't, creepy. Don't, don't edit that. He's, he's super fucking creepy. Um, just <laughs> like, no, like her, Chandra's mm-hmm. response to him is accurate. And still, I'm like, going... doubting her, I was like, oh, don't you mansplain this, okay? No, no. The, you wanting to drink is the correct response to that encounter. Yeah. Regard, regardless of the, that is the correct response to Especially that encounter. when he's got your card. Yeah, no, totally the correct response. And I think that was the other thing that is was us talking about this made me realize the significance of her saying I broke up with my boyfriend mm-hmm. is a personal issue, but also I'm living alone or I don't have anyone I can immediately call if this guy does yeah. anything. And Stone's immediate reaction, which is delivered glibly and funnily by Totoro, is fuck it, it doesn't matter, is <laughs> it doesn't quite register immediately as something, wait, you don't 
her safe. She's talking about her safety in this way a little bit. Yeah. And you're not catching on to that. And I that's a really nice little moment. And I liked her just needing to down drinks mm-hmm. to get through the rest of this. Yeah. But yeah, no, the... It, it just really showed to me, because we were having trouble with it earlier in the season, I think, for me, these last two episodes have really... When they start the investigative element of the defense, that has really helped. Just because I'm less involved in the prison stuff, it just gives right. Stone and Chandra things to do, and the yeah. cops, and the, the prosecutor as well, that are just much more interesting than some of this territory that I feel like they're less certain on in the, in the writing. Um, and also just that we've kind of seen before on other shows. So, yeah. uh, I'm looking forward to, to just seeing how everything comes together. Um, but yeah, I had forgotten that we're at the finale already. And that is a really unfortunate. Almost. We've got like, we've got one episode this week and then the, and then the finale, but still, yeah. I mean, yeah, well, we'll yeah. see how it goes. Um, are, were you as happy as I was when, uh, Stone's feet, Got fixed. I was like, he's in shoes. <laughs> I was. As someone who uh, has, uh, like, dishydrotic eczema, which is thankfully, thankfully, A, don't Google that if you, like, definitely don't do a Google image search. Because my case is very mild, but don't do a Google image search of that. Uh, but two is, like, it's just on my hands, which I'm really thankful about. So when he was just like, this Chinese herbalist, guys. And he <laughs> tossed in an aphrodisiac. And it's just like, this is hilarious. But I was, I was very happy that he finally found some relief for that and Mm -hmm. i'm i'm waiting for it to all come crumbling down because one of the i i do wonder if like his upswing is tied to nas's downswing Mm, okay and the idea of like if there's some sort of like again going back to this idea of like him is like a fairy a fairy god lawyer basically Mm -hmm. um and if there's their fates are that intertwined that while nas is on a spiral he's on his way up Mm-hmm. And if there's going to be some sort of like reckoning between what that means for both of them. Yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't noted that, but you're right. That doesn't feel accidental. So yeah. we'll see how it goes. Um, any final thoughts on the night of? No, I'm, I mean, I may need to borrow your HBO Go account or someone's <laughs> HBO Go account. Um, yeah. To watch the finale, but other than that, no, I'm I'm good. <laughs> okay, well, what about uh, Greenleaf? We didn't talk about it last week, but we had, uh, we had a, a figure from the past show up in um, in Sophie's father. Uh, which I'm sorry, but you didn't notice your daughter was out of the state for a month. You first called her a month after that, and you're going to come here and try to get. Are you kidding me with this? But it, it's very fitting for you know for a right, and it's so totally something like I've known people mm-hmm. who have done that and yeah. it's totally something that an irresponsible parent would pull yeah it does feel like it it, it, it that's why i didn't like it, you're when you're watching it it's frustrating but it's the right kind of frustrating you know correct right yeah it, it, it feels there's a realism to it mm-hmm. basically that's really significant for defining this character that we don't really have a huge amount of context for yeah, but the big thing for me with the one last week was uh, Charity standing up for herself, and which I really enjoyed, and then seeing how that co- comes through into this episode, I'm way more invested in her storyline and her and her husband as well. I thought they're, I think they're doing a good job with that. Right now, they're doing a good job with it, and yeah. I'm glad that uh, it, you know I'm really enjoying the show a lot, and I know you're really enjoying it. It's just. It felt like they realized that they couldn't spin many plates without 
all those plates kind of wobbling too much. Mm-hmm. So they just went, we're just going to put the charity plate down for a little while. Yeah. Back away from it. We're going to do like a couple of scenes about it, but they're going to be kind of repetitive. Um, but now that we're mostly like kind of wrapped up, at least with the Mac stuff to a certain degree, we mm-hmm. still have a couple of like lingering things to deal with. We're gonna de- we're gonna deal with charity much more centrally, and now we're gonna introduce the bishop's um, MS mm-hmm. and deal with that, and st- we'll start dealing with that. But we're also gonna deal, like you said, with a bunch of Fallout stuff. So like Jacob this week looking for work at a different church, um, and then finding out that the woman he was having an affair with goes to that church. Mm-hmm. Which, oh gosh, I love soapy coincidences. <laughs> 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 that made me really happy. I just went. Oh shit! Mm-hmm. Um, but I, also, I was really glad for it because it demonstrated that the the main guy at that church had done his fucking homework. Yeah, which I was just went oh like deferring deferring to the bishop um, at Calvary is nice and everything and a good thing to do. But going, I've done my homework on this. Yeah, I just went yeah. I like this. <laughs> I like where this. Go ahead. It sets him up as a more formidable adversary for the bishop, which yeah. is good. Because obviously there's going to be tension between yeah. these two, especially as, as they're trying to grow. Yeah. It's Trinity, right? It's trying to grow. Yeah, um, Trinity. And yeah. sort of just take over from Calvary uh, as they decline. So that, yeah. that, that sets up a lot of really juicy potential. And, and right. like you said, the fact that this is a guy who knows enough to be on top of all that is, it is just, it's a nice little tag to that scene. Right. And I, I think we mentioned, I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago is that I feel like the show, especially with this episode is very much transitioning into putting things into place for season two, which mm-hmm. I really, really like seeing them do that um, as opposed to like rushing it in the finale. Yeah. Um, they're just like, here's a bunch of seeds that we're going to start planting um, on the off chance that we were going to get a season two, which they have. I think so, yeah. I'm almost positive they have. I'm like 98% sure that they've gotten a second season, and it came pretty quickly because it's doing really well. Like, overall, like, Mr. Robot wishes mm-hmm. that they had Greenleaf's ratings, which is yeah. a ridiculous thing to say, considering that OWN is not as prominent a network as USA is. Um, but, yeah, no, they just... It's doing really well, so I'm glad that they're, like that they started looking ahead quite quick early enough to start planting a bunch of interesting seeds. And I'm very excited to watch the show wrap up. Um, do you have anything else on this? Just that yeah. I'm really enjoying uh, the first lady, Lady May. I'm, I'm oh, really enjoying gosh, her. She's so good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just you, a show like this needs somebody like that. Who's a very strong and like, it's a big presence yeah. that you can root against but love while you're doing it yeah just every time that she says something bitchy about Gigi, i just i i i like i'm with Gigi, uh and i'm like why are you treating your daughter this way but i still love her it's it's right it's the love to hate or and i don't even hate the character so yeah that's even a fair fair description but description but i'm really enjoying that less enjoying the Gigi noah thing was like didn't you like just say you were going to get back together with your fiance. Why is this like, still here? Yeah. Either commit to them as a thing and say, like, we'll pretend the actual fiance never happened or don't. Don't like. Yeah. I was very confused by Noah. Like, not by Gigi, but by Noah in that scene. So, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I think you're very spot on. 
yeah. with that. Um, so that's that's my main thing. But yeah, I'm looking forward to the right. the end of the season. Uh, but shall we move on to Mr. Robot? We should. Yeah. Um, this is so handshake the twist that some people saw coming. Right. Um, so yeah, let's let's talk about that a little bit. Um, because I tweeted the like one of the closing lines of this is the last I promise this is the last time I'll ever I'll ever lie to you and it's just like said the unreliable narrator and the show yeah followed by the mammoth Lizlim and eye roll which is basically my response to anything that happens on any show that I'm just like oh please mm-hmm. and it's just like so there was a lot of talk in season one about this idea that the show didn't really like actively try to hide mm-hmm. the idea that Mr. Robot was another personality within Elliot. And that um, this season, again, was basically doing for a lot of people the same thing that he's in his house, but he's not in his house. And we all we're all in on it. And just like we were allegedly all in on it with Mr. Robot in season one. And I just go, well, if we're all in on it, then why the fuck are you doing it? Mm -hmm. What narrative purpose is this serving beyond doing the character's mental state to which I immediately go, all right, well, then map the rest of this out for me, because I don't know exactly where Craig Robinson's character fits into this schema right now is he a guard is he the warden is he another prisoner that has access to a computer like where is all this fitting in and where the hell did they get the concrete (laughs) well did the concrete actually happen i thought that i just assumed that was in his head i don't know I and assume that's... that didn't physically happen. He just, like, made himself throw up. But, yeah, no, the, the thing for me is it's one thing if in the first season, like, they've done this. and then they but, Right. And they're like, aha, but we were distracting you from the real twist, which was Darlene, which was very effective, at least for well, me. Well, yeah. Let's, at least yeah. for me. I liked it. Fair enough. I know it's less of your thing, but I really liked it. Um, and then this, but in this season, I guess it's supposed to be this idea of now it's, showing Elliot's relationship to the viewer just like well but but it's like I, I don't believe you when you're saying that show you're being clever for clever's sake and that's okay but then own it and don't try to like pretend that 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 this there's extra meaning to it it's like that idea of in the previous episode that we talked about this why was it 90s because to come because they thought it would be fun and yeah that's okay but own that don't try to pretend that it's all this other deep weighty stuff when you, you're not backing it up. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And the idea that, um, well, we're not going to do it again. It's like, mm, I don't believe you, first of all. Second no. of all, just like when you're like, okay, we thought it would be fun. Acknowledge that, especially if you're going to go do a bunch of interviews, creator. Yeah. Which I shouldn't let that affect my viewing. Um, and for the most part, I, I don't think it does. But yeah, it, it was just, um, as I was fine with it. I didn't have a problem with it. I was more... Right annoyed by like the well I guess I won't I'm not gonna lie to you anymore kind of thing and it just there's too much that doesn't make sense because they were more committed to this being clever than to it making sense yeah and I think the making sense part is where I stumble in part because we're also having to figure out who Elliot's addressing Mm -hmm. and if he's addressing us then it becomes a question of how he is aware of us or just it because there's a lot there's a couple more layers that need to be like 
dealt with. And the show got a third season, like, last week or this week. So it's coming back. Um, and they can continue to answer that question at some point, I'm sure. And I just go... But my immediate thing is, like, well, how much of this is the idea that Elliot's controlling a reality that we're privy to, but then, to me, that means that we're some sort of subservient aspect of his personality that he talks to to deal with everything else. I don't know how it works, and that's what bothers me. I don't know how the narration frame works, and it's getting frustrating when you're pulling this kind of a a hoodwink that Elliot's controlling that isn't one that the show's controlling, which is, I think, the key difference between the robot reveal last season and this reveal this season is that Elliot controlled this one. He didn't control the last one. So this was something that Elliot was doing to us. And that feels really significant, but I can't tell you why it feels significant because the show hasn't told me why it's significant. Well, the other thing is that when, in this first season, when we found out specifically about Darlene, it made other things click in and it made it, at least for me, more fun to go back and like rewatch a scene and be like, okay, this scene felt, their interactions felt a little weird, but I couldn't place it. And the show didn't want me to be able to place it. But now with that context, it makes total sense. Yeah. Like Dar- how Darlene is acting makes total sense. Whereas before it felt just kind of strange. Um, with this, some things make more sense. But others, again, it's like, wait, but then I'm having to do too much work and the show doesn't want me to just not think about it. But it does want me to think about it because it wants me to go, oh, this whole time, you know. So right. they're trying to have it kind of both ways. Where did and... he get the dog from? Is, was the dog there? I, I don't, <laughs> I'm just going to be honest, I don't care. Right, don't no, but care. the fact that I'm like, and I, again, it's just, this is because I, I don't like the show, is that I'm like looking at all these schemes and going, but I don't understand how any of this works. And I don't even care why he's in jail, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but not enough to be in jail for a very long time. So, I mean, it's something, but Mm -hmm. we don't know what, but I think it's uh, again, and again, and I just keep going back to this is that I swear to God, Kate, if Terrell shows up as soon as Elliot's out of jail, Mm-hmm. He's in his head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll see what happens with that. But um, I don't believe Mr. Robot for a moment when he says that Terrell is dead. So, nope. And yeah. I did like, from like an aesthetics point, I liked the very quick, like shutter cuts of Mr. Robot taking the punches for Elliot during the scene in this one. I. J- I really yeah. liked that aspect of that representation of that concept that we had already established a couple episodes ago that he was doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked the continuation of that aspect. Um, mm-hmm. But then I'm also just like, how did he get access to Seinfeld? Uh, TV reruns, you know, there are, I would, does, I had no trouble with that because if you have a TV in a common area and, there are plenty of channels showing reruns of Seinfeld right. from, like, in order, too. So, yeah, I was good with that. But no, I like... But the as we of... know from the night of, that television is very contentious area. That's true. That's true. <laughs> um, I, I like the reveal of that character as connected to White Rose in some way. Um, mm-hmm. Or that to that world. I thought that was neat. And yeah. that worked for me. Um, but, yeah, mostly this, again, once again, I'm much more invested in the ladies. Right. And so, let's, like wrap up and talk about them is like how did you feel about angela's shift to 
the adjustments area, I guess. Is yeah, I she... love that she did have a plan, and I loved how foolish it was. How, how really she... awful she was at executing it. Yeah, but I did love her, you know, like, she likes to celebrate everything. Like, no. no. I, I, th- yeah, I thought no. that was great. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, you're going to give me what I want, right? No, no, we don't need to do this. And he's just like, all right, maybe next time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, and seeing that the actor who's her superior in the risk area, um, who, of course, is always very fun and slimy on the yes. Nick. Uh, nice to see him pop up here. Um, and I, But just the idea that Angela does have active goals and things she is working towards that are unrelated to, to uh, F Society. Like her having pieced together a while ago the, who was behind F Society and all of that. Like I liked the show just giving her more credit even if she's terrible at scheming. She is terrible at scheming. But at the, at, at she kind of got through past Grace Gummer well enough mm-hmm. um, at the beginning of it. But yeah, she, she was just really bad at scheming. That that actual scheming part. I was just like, why would you? Uh, why would you do that? Why would you talk? That was yeah. just no. Oh well. Uh, mm-hmm. Any final thoughts on Mister Robot? No, no final thoughts. Yeah. Any? Yeah, can you? Do you think? Uh, well, I guess you're already rather disconnected from the show, so it's not like if they did one more twist like that, it would like breathe some straw that broke the camel's back. You're just barely watching at this point <laughs> I, I i'm barely watching it at this point and I, I think that's okay mainly because at this point i'm like verging on hate watching just to mm-hmm. like see how riled up my blood pressure can get mm-hmm. um but at some point that'll just start being unhealthy um <laughs> which what number episode is this, this is like six, this is episode seven? seven seven okay yeah. uh so we're like oh god we're halfway through the season mm-hmm He's just getting out of jail. Yep. Well, okay. Like I said, uh, <laughs> feel free to stop watching. That's on you. You do not no, need no. to watch Mister Robot. <laughs> I know. I just wanted to make sure that I, you didn't have to monologue so much, and then you did. You did four episodes worth of monologuing today. <laughs> A lot of monologuing today. Hopefully, listeners next week, I, I won't just be monologuing. Um, but, but it. To, to wrap it up, like, with, with Mr. Robot, uh, I'm still much more uh, fond of it than you are, just right. for the ladies, I would say. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, the, the the notion of, like, I'm in club with this twist was not, that I was seeing online in some places, it was just, it was, it was just one of those moments of, we're, we're having very different viewing experiences. I was like, okay, yeah, it makes sense, fair enough. I mean, like, I'm not surprised by this, I'm a little... You know, I really about them treating it as a massive reveal, but right. um, okay, can we move on to the next part of the story now? Right. Um, so, but I, 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 we, we talk about this, and I come off feeling so much more antagonistic towards Mister Robot than when I go in to the conversation. Uh, then, then I've done my job. <laughs> Congratulations. Well, what wins your weekend drama, sir? Um, I'll give it to Greenleaf. I guess this week, um, a solid like two episode stretch and. I'm geared up for, like, them entering their finale. Uh, what about you? I'll give it to Greenleaf as well, just because I, you know, we didn't even mention it, but I, I like, it's it's a solid show, and they're doing a good job with it. Um, but even just, like, a little scene, like, talking about that Bible verse about, excuse me, about men like trees walking, uh, the title, you know, the 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 verse that's referenced in the title. I like, I really appreciate that kind of specificity to the show, and, the way that this this is a show that could have gone so wrong looking at religion looking at community looking at this uh 
significant portion of American culture that is not explored other places. It could have gone yeah. really wrong. And I, I always just continue, uh, go back to this idea of how much they're getting right, even just outside of, is it entertaining television? So yeah. uh, tip of the hat to, to Greenleaf this week. A few show notes. You can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org, the website for the podcast. You can email us at televerse at gmail.com. You can find, like us on Facebook and start a conversation there. You can find us on iTunes with an M4A chapter feed uh, where you can skip between the shows and to avoid spoilers. Or if you prefer to listen straight through, the MP3 feed also on iTunes and you can leave us a rating or review there. It helps other people find the show. We always appreciate getting feedback from you guys you can also find us in stitcher um and leave a rating review there and of course we're both on twitter i'm at the televerse and noel you are at noel rk and again this week uh, we got back put our comedy hats back on our sketch comedy hats we've we've done so many sketch shows at this point it feels like a lot i know there's a lot more we haven't done but they're all i think they've all been ones that i had never seen I never watched it. There's one sketch show, or I guess two. I watched some Mad TV um, that would qualify for the DVD shelf, and nobody ever wants, has wanted to talk about it. And it's the one that I've seen so much of, and that's Kids in the Hall. Eventually, oh, I thought I thought it would be all that. Nope, nope. No. I've seen like the, the you're ones, right. You didn't have cable. What am I saying? Didn't have cable. Like the one sketch show that I've actually seen a bunch of is the Kids in the Hall. But you know what? I'm I'm actually okay. Just continue to take off all these shows I should have seen but haven't seen. So help, joining us to help take off another one of those sketch comedy shows and fill in another gap for me, much appreciated, is Nick Campbell from Super Serial and from TVI.com. So uh, we'll take a break, listen to a clip and some music, and come back with Nick to talk the state. <laughs> It's a marvelous day at the Porcupine Racetrack. We'll watch them little porkies run the sun, the track, and porcupines. Your recipe for fun. Racing for Mr. Johnson? Why, thank you, Jimmy. Here, get yourself a licorice whip. I got a pick for you boys, oh. this porcupine has to win. Yeah. He's strong and fast and ready. And loaded up with gin. I'll put my dough on lightning, cause it says hey, he's a sure thing. And, and the, the odds are five to four. But boy, I hope that he's not slower. Otherwise then this here Joe will be back on Skid Row. We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kulsik, joined as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And this week on the DVD shelf, we are adding to our Televerse list of sketch comedy reviews. Uh, we've we've done a, a number of, of sketch comedy shows uh, here on the DVD shelf, and they're all ones that I had, like, everybody else in the TV fan, comedy fan, like, 
at least my Twitter bubble, like everybody I know who's into this stuff had all seen except for me. And that we're doing another one of those today. So I'm very excited to take off another should have seen had I had cable in the day. Um, and that's the state. And here joining us to help us talk about it, uh, contributor TV guide, and I just and podcaster from the Super Serial podcast. That's right, guys. It's a serial review and storytelling <laughs> podcast, and I'm already in love with it. It's Nick Campbell. Nick, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Kate. What's going on, Noel? You guys broke out there, so I didn't. I didn't hear any of that. So. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> well, uh, Nick, you're coming on to talk with us about the state, and this is like I said, a, a, if you're a comedy fan now in TV, like uh, these are all a bunch of names and a bunch of faces that you're going to recognize because this troupe, uh, d- you know, did this was a show from the '90s. Um, but the, the, the people from this comedy troupe have gone into a lot of work together, a lot of really respected comedy. Um, so is this like, what did you first discover all these people like David Wayne and Camarino, Mike Lee and black and like all these guys, did you discover them with the state or did you come to the state later after seeing their later work? No, I came to the state probably the last season of the state. Um, their, so the last season on MP on MTV was the last season I saw it because I was, uh, when they first started, I was 12, so a little young, but like, as I got, as I grew into a teenager, I kind of fell in with the state and also the state came out the same time as like, uh, you know, Mr. Show came out like in 95 and, uh, Space Ghost Coast to Coast came out around that same time too. So I was very entrenched in the absurdist comedy movement of the mid nineties. So like all these things were all things that me and my friends would just quote and repeat to each other all the time. I'm very, very familiar with the cast of the state, yeah. I feel like 12 is less under the age, like, the, the fan base for this for the show than, than, you know, we might think with sketch comedy. Because this was an MTV show, and there's a lot of really uh, higher-brow stuff going on. But there's also a lot of comedy that I feel like a a apt and a, an engaged and an intri- curious, like, a comedy-curious 12 year old is going to get into it. I like, I don't mean for that to sound like a slam, but it does, I guess. I don't know. What do you <laughs> no, guys think? I was a late bloomer too. So like, you know, it, it, it took me a little while to get, to get there, but yeah, I, I totally see what you mean. Especially since the state, uh, especially the first season, the first two seasons were about that, like aimed directly at those kinds of people, like kids in high school, kids in middle school, even like it was, it was a very MTV show. It was almost like the MTV was telling the states, like you're not allowed to do any sketches about adults. They all have to be <laughs> about children, teenagers, or how bad parents and authority figures are. That's all you can do sketches on. It's the only topic. It's, it's clearly it. the only topic. Yeah, I watched a lot. I, I watched a sampling of the different seasons, and I, I watched, I think, the entirety of season one, and then uh, several from each of the the two, three, and four. Like I said, I didn't even have cable when this came out, so I certainly was not watching uh, MTV. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad to have uh, to have come back to it uh, for the shelf. Uh, Noel, what was your relationship with the state? Had you seen it, like when it was airing or, or later? No, um, I'm too much of a. I was too much of a square to watch MTV when I was when I was uh, young. Square. Um, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> no, total square. I was just like MTV. What's that? I'm here for the West Wing. And. <laughs> No, I was watching West Wing at this point, too. (laughs) But you didn't have cable. I had cable, so my excuse was that I was just a total dweeb. Um, (laughs) So my relationship with the state was basically, oh, this is what Michael Ian Black did before he was on Ed. 
Oh, God, Ed. But still my heart, Ed. At I some point, so we'll much. do an Ed DVD shelf, maybe when the the DVDs finally come out. But um, exactly. yeah, fond plays in my heart for Ed. Um, yeah, this, this, and it's interesting to me watching, going back and watching The State, because I didn't expect, um, I expected to connect to the comedy quicker than I did in the first season because I'm such a fan of, pretty much everybody in the state uh, from from their projects moving forward. Something like, you know, Reno 911, I've really enjoyed when it was on. Um, and certainly I love Children's Hospital um, and even the most recent season of um, the the reboot or the, the continuation or prequel, I guess, is what it would be of Wet Hot American Summer for Sea Camp. I really enjoyed that. Um, but it did take me a little bit to get into the first season. I feel like the, the comedy of the state really matures over the first, even just the first like three seasons. Um, and I don't know how much of that is just the sensibilities of the writers and how much is they had more opportunity to stretch things and play with things as they went along. But I, I, got, I came to pretty quickly uh, really uh, appreciate the way that they established some of these characters in the first season. And then, you know, a character like Doug, I shouldn't <laughs> find funny beyond maybe like, the first couple sketches, but every, every Doug sketch I loved. And, uh, it's because they didn't let, they didn't let Doug become the same, just recurring tagline. Every, every, every time he came back, they, they matured the sketches. They started playing with the form. They brought in other characters and started commenting on it as well. And the, that, that level of maturity with their characters, despite being very silly and very just based on like one of the first sketches is just we're running. That's it. That's it. That's the entirety. There's <laughs> no the joke. joke. Yeah. <laughs> but, but they showed despite having that very high energy and, uh, and just going, going on energy kind of approach in the early first season. By the time we get to season three, season four, I feel like they've really taken these same th- uh, elements and developed them. And I, that's what I was most impressed by with the state. Yeah, it's, I think that, it, I don't know, I don't know this for sure, but from watching it, I get the idea that the state is a basic refutation of SNL, of any of the comedy sketch programs before it. And so it's like any time that they could have, they could have fallen into that mold where they could have had, you know, Doug be a recurring character that everybody loves and he just does the same thing every time and everybody loves it. It's just like every time that the, it seemed like that could be the case, they they would always make a meta joke about it. They'd always turn it on its head. Like the the sketch where uh, Doug serenades or is trying to serenade his girlfriend, and like his parents are making fun of his catchphrases up, up from the up from the window. Like they always find a way in order to turn it around on the audience. Be like, we know that you like it, and we're going to ruin it for you. And we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna either destroy it or we're going to try to make it better in some other way. So. Um, yeah, I, and I think that's, I mean, that's kind of what makes uh, the state great. And it's what makes the state really hit or miss, too, because they're so focused on not being an, an establishment sketch show, which also means that they don't have like a unified voice. They kind of ruled by committee. So there's no like Lauren Michaels. There's no um, Bob Odenkirk and there's no David Cross to kind of be like the one in charge. There's no one person that was in charge of everything. It was always done by committee and it was always done by a group. So like there's a lot of hit or miss, but then when they hit, they hit so strongly. And in my, in my adolescent heart just beat only for the state. It was just when the, uh, the skits and stickers tape came out, which is like a best of compilation. I 
was I, like that's all I, I, I wore that tape out like I don't I don't have that tape anymore because I just wore the tape out I would agree with that um I and to your point like about the Doug thing I mean they acknowledge it like even just straight out because I mean remember the introduction for Porcupine Racetrack with Lennon is basically just like MTV didn't want us to do this uh but we think it'll be even better than the guy who goes out of here and Lennon does a really <laughs> terrible impression yeah. of of the tagline and it's just like guys we know you like it but even we're kind of tired of it and you've you've had us do four of these things <laughs> um and that's not what we were about here was recurring characters and i mean that was one of the things that like i really liked was that they didn't do they didn't go back to the well too often like you said nick when they did go back to the well they found different things to do such as Barry and LaVon and it's just like they lose their groove and start talking about antiquing and then <laughs> the pudding thing comes back in the yeah. Cadillac and it's just like it's really good when they just go how they want to mix it up to prevent it from becoming too stale and I really really always appreciated that when they came back to something they found something to do and then I was always surprised when they didn't bring something back because I was just like oh they have to bring back the foreign exchange student because <laughs> he's it was so i enjoyed the what's his name antonio mm-hmm. uh yeah i think it's antonio but i really enjoyed that entire sketch i thought it was really really funny and th- he never came back and i was just like what and then it felt like they kind of did a riff with it with um the really popular gay kid who <laughs> who turned out to not be gay at all um so yeah. and I'm sure people watched faking it on MTV and went, you yes. guys stole our idea. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. A little bit. A little um, bit. Yeah. A little bit, but yeah, no, I really enjoyed the fact that they avoided that kind of repetition and pushed themselves basically to not fall into something too comfortable. Yeah. No, like I told, like I get that. And that's why I think that sometimes they, uh, they are, almost self-destructive in that they because they refuse to make jokes all the time they were constantly trying to almost they were almost killing each other killing themselves by uh by not bringing things back by not letting themselves do those jokes again or be able to live in those spaces again it's also just a testament to the fact that they're just basically working non-stop i mean it's not just oh how can we come up with a different way for them to work for this character to work it's no we need to come up with an entirely different idea right yeah well and like you said uh nick the any sketch comedy show is going to have a hit to miss ratio uh and, and when you're so com- the, the characters they do bring back they're very committed to so if you don't really enjoy them that's gonna really make the miss ratio Mm-hmm. Uh, a little challenging. Uh, fortunately, I did enjoy pretty much everybody. They brought back a bunch. But because they are so committed to bringing like new ideas and new characters not returning to the well, with even maybe some of these characters we'd like to see again, it, it, I think it's really energizing. It's nice to see a, a sketch show where they're constantly swinging, where they're not relying on that. The, the, those familiar beats. And, and why having watched a lot of SNL in the 90s... Yeah, that feels like a very direct choice. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, and, and the characters that they do have that they never bring back, like uh, uh you know, they did one episode where, uh, or you know, maybe a season where the, where the through line was bologna sandwiches. Bologna sandwiches were popping up everywhere, 
And then they do one last bologna sandwich thing, which is in Cutlery Barn, which was the the finale. And they don't, and they never, that you never see the bologna sandwich ever again. Yeah. Cutlery Barn, by the way, my favorite sketch, and also Michael Ian Black's favorite sketch, according to an interview he did recently with Katie Nolan. Hmm. Yeah, I kept waiting for just like aside from just the reference to bologna sandwiches, I kept waiting for the guy whose feet are bologna sandwiches. <laughs> Yeah. To, to come back I was, like, I was like okay we're gonna see this guy again but then they don't and that's you know like you said that i or uh yeah like it, it just i really appreciate that that choice as a direct choice mm-hmm. another another very direct choice i feel like we have to talk about is uh some like a for one-off sketch is the porcupine racetrack uh. um can that's obviously it's a musical number so it goes straight to my heart, but um, it's this, this combination of guys and dolls, and also my fair lady, and and Oklahoma, uh, and Oklahoma, and just singing porcupine. You know why not? I, I <laughs> that's another again. It's example of the state taking these big swings, and for me that one worked like gangbusters. That please tell me that's like a genuine, generally like popular and adored sketch, right? Because I loved it. Yeah, that's that. It is. It's one of those sketches that, like, when they would do live shows or whenever, like, uh, yeah, any any number of the sketch or of the sorry, any number of the state would be into in a group together. Like, you know, fans would be able to sing that back to them to the point that it drove me crazy because my friends were all <laughs> into it and they would sing it all the time. It drove me nuts. But um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's definitely one of those. Like, you know, there's there's certain there's certain sketches that come back a lot among the fans. Porcupine Trace Track's one of them. Cutlery Barn's another one of them. Um, you know, the the mind match sketch where you double your orphans is another one. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Baron Levon. Baron Levon, Louie is also a big one, obviously. Um, yeah, Captain Monterey Jack also is a big <laughs> one, too. Yeah, a lot of these are, yeah, there's a lot of, like, star-studded, or, you know, favorite sketches that they come back and Porcupine Race Track is one of them, but it's one that it's it because people would sing it so much. It just drove me crazy. It was almost like, you know, my rebellious teenage mind was just like, everybody likes Porcupine Racetrack. I hate that one. <laughs> that sounds about right. Noel, did you have any uh, favorite uh, sketches that we haven't mentioned yet? I sent this to Nick while I was watching and I really liked seasons three and four a whole lot that I just, those were like, peak for me while i was watching them um but i've i've really enjoyed just how kind of dark and depressing and how much of a veer into kind of a dark absurdist that the free market economy sketch in uh season four was (laughs) um it's just so dark it's It's so dark dark. (laughs) um and in a way that even like some of their more like borderline edgy type stuff just isn't but it's just it's a really depressing caricature of eastern european capitalism (laughs) (laughs) of there is there i i run this ice cream truck but there is no ice cream the children (laughs) like looking at the pictures and it's just like (laughs) oh my god this is terrible and i'm laughing a lot because it's just it's so well executed as like a parody of that kind of um eastern european uh propaganda that i just i could not get over it in any way shape or form so i really really enjoyed that one um but i also kind of like just the really quick the other thing i really liked was especially with their cold open sketches is that those were perfect like one hit and out jokes Mm -hmm. 
So, yeah. like, I'm thinking about, like, looking up the list and going, like, narcolepsy today is such a great joke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and But it couldn't go on any longer than it actually no. does. Yeah. And the same thing with, like, the Hokey Pokey competition that's in, like, the next episode. It's just, like, it's perfect. It's, like, you hit it, you're done, you're into the credits, and it's really, really good. Which is also a basic refutation of SNL sketches, which are notoriously too long sometimes. And yeah. so, like, the state record... Like, you can never really accuse the state of getting or staying in a space for too long. Like they, they, they have a good feel for, okay, we've, we've exhausted the joke. We can get out now. Or if they're not, they're going to do like the uh, precinct stuff where nothing funny happening here. So we should just go to the credits and then they come back. <laughs> oh, really funny stuff. And then there's a Ray gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I like the, um, uh. Uh, the the cut the recurring cutaways in a particular episodes so some like Tom Lennon's just uh, old fashioned guy <laughs> oh I was guy. so upset that old fashioned guy disappeared after yeah a while I was just like yeah. where did he go I loved old fashioned guy <laughs> he was great old fashioned guy's one of my favorites um or <laughs> I also can't whistle so I have a lot of respect for that um. Uh. Or, or just like even just something simple like Slash as like he's eating their food and then there's a bunch of fleas. Like just stupid, stupid puns. And yes, they get a bit on the nose with the we're combining highbrow and lowbrow with the actual mm-hmm. sketch they do of that. But I still appreciate their willingness to just go for it. Yeah, no, there is no other joke. We're just going to tra- chase Slash around like like he's a, a mouse. That's it. <laughs> That's the joke. That's we're, the joke. We're done. Yeah. 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 Um there's a there's a sketch that one of my favorite sketches that they do is um the mailman that delivers tacos. And <laughs> Oh gosh. It's so good. And it's like it's one of their I feel like it's one of their longer sketches, but yeah. it's he delivers the taco and and the guy and you know Michael Ian Black comes out and just he just wants his mail and but he says it and says he's so calm the whole time he's just like I love the tacos they're probably the best tacos I've ever had but I would also like my mail for the bills and stuff <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes oh so it's not that you don't like the tacos it's just it's bills and that that mail i don't know i just don't have the same passion for delivering mail as i do for making and distributing tacos and then he just disappears like literally fades away into nothingness and you're like that's and then the mailbox moves away and, and michael Ian black goes goodbye mailbox and the mo- mailbox just moves and that is like the essential state sketch it is something that starts off with a with a premise, and then by the end of it, it becomes this absurd avant-garde nonsense that is, for some reason, so funny to me. It just <laughs> for I mean, it's just it's anarchy and chaos at the, by the end of every sketch, and I love it. Do you see the same arc, um, Nick, throughout the four seasons that I was seeing of them, them really loosening up and, and getting into more of that absurdism in, in later uh, the later seasons? Or were you seeing, do you see that more in the earlier, the more of the glimpses of that in the earlier seasons as well? Because I, unfortunately, I wasn't able to watch the whole thing, so I might mm-hmm. have missed some of the other stuff. But how do you yeah. feel about the progression of the show over time? Progression is, it, yeah, you can't, you can't, you, yeah, you nailed it. It's uh, you know they start off as being um, you know they they they're rubes. I mean they they get their own show and they kind of produce a show that has got a lot of great stuff, a lot of misses, but a lot of good stuff in, in there. And then eventually, by the time that MTV is already kind of souring on them, they are 
they're finally coming into their own. They're finally kind of finding uh, a way of creating more hits than misses. And like, there are some episodes that like people would ask me, Noel asked me for episode recommendations before, and I couldn't give, I can't give you any episode recommendations. I can only give you sketch recommendations. And that's kind of because that's the basic unit of the state. Like, you know, Mr. Show, you could do some, some episode recommendations, but like, the state, uh, you get, you can only do sketches. And like, by the time that you got to season four, you weren't sure if like, you know, cause they, like I said, they came, they kind of came into their own and they kind of finally found like stability, but at the same time, it, the relationship with MTV had gotten so acrimonious that a lot of the stuff that they were doing is also just anti MTV It's almost like a, a middle finger to MTV a lot. So you're not sure. So by the time they grew up, they were so angry with MTV. They were just making stuff in order to make MTV mad. And, we're going to uh, do this big sketch in an expensive restaurant just to <laughs> spend money. We're going to go shoot this thing on a beach for like $4,000 just to piss people off and spend that MTV's kind of thing. money. Exactly that kind of thing. So by the time that they left MTV and did their one-off show on CBS, like, uh, yeah, they finally had, had found a voice and they found their way of doing things. But at the same time, they were so angry, it seemed like, at the network that they did not, that they, uh, they were still kind of producing things in a chaotic kind of way. It is too bad that they weren't able to listen to their agents and sign that like contract wasn't for like 35 or 45 episodes Mm -hmm. that mtv wanted to do because i feel like if they had been able to make things work with mtv we could have had a lot more great comedy like because they could have kept developing their their voice um in that setting i mean it is sort of like a what if kind of you know maybe we would have Maybe we would have been spared Viva Variety. We could we could have missed that entire <laughs> that entire part of the '90s. Yeah, but the the tension with MTV though did does it did give them some of their best sketches though because a character mm-hmm. like Louie, who I should not enjoy, <laughs> I shouldn't like that sketch. And when when it first came out, I was like, wait, what is happening? Oh God, is this really? But they managed to actually make that one work for me especially over time because of the because they're aware with that and also because ken marino is very charismatic and he can mm-hmm. pull that off the way that no one should be able to but that sketch doesn't happen unless mtv is poking them to to have catchphrases and they're then mm-hmm. they respond to that so so sometimes having that tension you know and a little bit of that well screw you attitude can be i think very helpful for sketch comedy yeah, definitely for sketch comedy and especially for the state. I mean, I feel like the states, like the, the things that they leaned so heavily on, especially in the first couple seasons, was their was their pop culture, their scathing views of pop culture, and so like I mean, even things like the Free Your Mind campaign they made fun of, which you know was MTV doing you know actually good PSAs in in the early '90s, and they were ready to to make fun of that. It, you know, it's it was. If it wasn't for their their cynicism and it wasn't for the fact that they wanted to make fun of everything, that everything was game for them to make fun of, um, and and that almost they were almost taken, they almost took offense to pop culture that was around them, like like all the the broad pop culture. If it, it seemed so offensive to them and so abrasive to them, and if that was so important for the early beginnings because it created it was so much material for them the first couple seasons. Yeah. Oh. 
I feel like we're dancing around like one really important thing that's come out of the state, really. Mm-hmm. And that's the fact that Ken Marino hasn't aged. He's not aged. <laughs> Ken like Marino's a vampire. Yeah. And several like, of the people in the cast, might I say. <laughs> not just him. No, no, no. Several of them just really haven't aged. And I'm convinced that there were just portraits of them getting older and decaying in like someone's <laughs> attic somewhere. <laughs> like Thomas Lennon doesn't look that much different either. Neither no. does Ben Garant. Yeah. And, no. uh, you know, I mean, Michael Ian Black might have filled out a little bit, but like uh, he looks basically the same. I think he actually has the same haircut from like the first two seasons. <laughs> yeah, no, the because because I'm so aware of most of this cast from their their more recent work, it is f- this fun combination of like, oh, they're babies, and yeah. they're, they, they look like oh, they're the little baby Muppet versions of mm-hmm. of these comedians. And also, it doesn't, I mean, they look older, but they do not look like 20 years older, 23 years older, depending on which season you're looking at. It is yeah. pretty ridiculous. Um, but I also, what I also th- think is funny looking at, um, you know, then, then and now, especially knowing some of the, sort of the comedic sensibilities of these people now, and then looking at their early work is some of it has, has, has developed over time, but some of it is very consistent. And the, you can see, the surety in in the comic voice uh, of the performers that you know I've enjoyed on like I said stuff like Children's Hospital and Wet Hot American Summer and all of that you can see that here already in the state and and that level of of confidence or like like Thomas Lennon who's just amazing at his deadpan delivery just as good in '93 yeah. at that yeah. and I don't expect that out of young twenty somethings. No, yeah, Thomas Lennon is uh, he. If there's any case that the members of the state are vampires and they've, they've lived a thousand years, Thomas Lennon is one of them. Ken Marino also, but like Thomas Lennon, he's had like the, the chops of being, of just deadpan delivery and just comic timing since before man began, like before, <laughs> before man could, could walk. He had that, that comic timing. It's incredible. Now he's using it to great effect on the odd couple. He's the only watchable thing about the Odd Couple, and that's astonishing. Like he, his delivery on the Odd Couple is what got me through the two episodes of that that I watched. I had such hopes, foolishly. Um, the one element about this the show, though, that I do rankle at, as like I kind of can't not, and this will surprise none of our listeners, is oh, I've been waiting for this. Yeah, we've got ten guys and one woman. <laughs> And the quote that they would always say about her is, she's so good, we don't need any other girls. <laughs> she's all the woman that we need. That's so offensive. It's so yeah. horribly offensive because did you need 10 guys? No, you really, really didn't. But you're mm-hmm. like, they're talented, so let's give them a voice. And she's talented, so let's give her a voice. But women have no worth outside of having boobs. So, you know, it was convenient to have one of them in the team because we actually respect her as a comedian. But, oh, man, I, I, it's so frustrating for me to, to see that quote and to have that, you know, because there's enough awareness in this team that, oh, we should have a female comedian in with us. We clear, They clearly respect and value her. She's all over. She's very prominent. And not just because she's a woman, because they're very happy to have people dress up in drag. But but she's very featured. And I have keep saying she. This is Carrie Kenny. She's, uh, she's fantastic. I've enjoyed her in lots of things since the state. But um, to, to be, it's almost worse for me for them to be so aware that women can be so funny and then to only have one. It's yeah. not like this is a kids in the hall thing where they're, it's only dudes. Mm-hmm. That, oh yeah. man, does that annoy anybody else? It could just be me. 
No, it, it annoyed me in the big beginning. Like again, in first couple seasons, it felt like that Carrie Kenny, like although she was definitely very involved in the writing process and very involved in the the sketches, uh, a lot of her roles were just as counterparts. Like if they had to write like a kissing scene between two characters, Carrie Kenny was going to be one of those characters, so that so the guys wouldn't have to pretend to kiss each other. That got a lot better over the the, the three and four over season three and four because uh, I felt like that. You know, she wasn't just a character that was put in place so that guys wouldn't have to feel homophobia for each other. Um, it's uh, it's Carrie Kenny is it's so funny. And I, you know, the other part of it is that, you know, there's also only white people. It's it, and there's, there's yes. a sketch. There's a sketch near the end of the series. I can't remember which season it's in, but there's a sketch near the end of the season called Fragments where Michael Showalter repeats a poem and there's a part where there's a, a woman that plays a Native American and uh, who's uh, who says some lines in, uh, in another language. And uh, it's very stark that you realize, oh, there are really no other, uh, you know, there are no people of color anywhere. <laughs> like in any sketch, like that perspective isn't there. It's, yeah, the only person, I mean, yeah, the only uh, possible minority that's represented on the show is uh you know one woman and there's uh, occasionally uh, a a uh, homosexual uh, yeah there's usually like a gay perspective sometimes but like otherwise it's very very devoid of minority we, we've done a lot of, of sketch comedy at this point on the dvd shelf but aside from key and peel it's all been very very white so i think that's some we need to maybe Noel seek out some people who want to talk about sketch comedy from different perspectives outside of key and peel because it, it is something that i do, you just do keep coming back to and i think it's what makes sense to me is just the sense of people not looking for different perspectives and, and that that uh, maybe i'm generalizing here but that theater kid mentality of finding all the oddballs that are like you and making your own comedy group out of, you know, out of it, that kind of a thing, uh, mm-hmm. rather than seeking out people who are different from you to try to make things together. Um, but yeah, it is something that does regularly, um, just from a modern perspective, just rankle a little bit, especially when you have like these very white people playing, uh, people of color coded characters, mm-hmm. uh, where you have to watch and go like, are you trying yeah. to be a person of color or are you trying to be a white guy pretending like who's trying to adopt that culture? Mm-hmm. And I, this is, uh, I'm working too hard to not be bothered by this. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? No. Well, I, I think that the fact that they're, that they, I mean, to like the point about Carrie Kenny is really accurate. Cause I was zoning in on that really, really quickly. I was just like, wait a second. There's there's one woman here. When are you guys going to address this? And then they don't address it until like season three with Carrie's day, which is a fabulous sketch. I really like that one. It is a fabulous sketch, but then it also goes, we heard your criticisms. So what we're going to do with those criticisms is show you how this would have gone maybe on like any other show type of thing. Or this is, this is not how we treat Carrie basically, even though this is how like stereotypically or like societally that this is how you may think that Carrie's being treated, but it's not this at all. Um, 
but no, every time a person of color would show up in a sketch, so like you were talking about with Fragments, or in actually like the most absurd sketch I can think of, but also maybe one of my favorites, with um, is the um, Lupin's Variety Program. Oh, yeah. Has the U.S. dancers, both of whom are women, uh, black women, in like um, patriotic flag vests of some sort, I think. And I mean, it's a really funny sketch, but then both of those women pop up and we're just like, right. <laughs> yeah. Where did you guys come from? Right. <laughs> because Any- <laughs> this isn't how this works typically on this show. Right. Anytime that you see anybody that's not from the state that's, that is of color or is a woman, you're just like, oh, right. This is a bunch of white people making these, this, this comedy for us. Oh, well- and they're clearly comfortable having a large comedy troupe. It's not like this is three guys or four guys. This is 11 people or 10 people. And so it's not like they're like, well, we want to keep it just the core crew. No. I mean, which it is a core crew. It's just it's a large core crew. Um, right. Yeah. Including so, like a, including folks that maybe just didn't want to perform a whole lot. Like I never really, you never see quite a few of them like really front and center. Like Matt. Michael Patrick Jan just doesn't show up a whole lot to like yeah. lead a sketch, basically. And I actually asked Nick off like podcast if some of them were just more interested in writing or directing, because uh, like I said, Michael Patrick Jan and uh, a couple of other ones, um, like I can't remember. Um, Todd. Dan- Todd was one of them. That was Todd. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, both just kind of don't show up or show up in like background bits. And I remember like when I watched the Lupin Variety program, it was just like. Jan's got like a fairly like prominent, mostly non-speaking part, but it's just like this is like the first time you see him like full framed, basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's season four when that happens. Right. He he, fi- he finally got comfortable with the camera, right in time yeah. for them to get canceled. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've already uh, gone long, uh, like we do so often. Uh, do we have any final uh, sketches or? Or uh, characters or or just creatives here, members of the state that we haven't touched on that you guys want to make sure we get to? Tenement is a, is a sketch that, I mean, if we're just, I have a list of sketches that I wanted to mention just, and it's, it's it fills up a sheet of paper. But <laughs> uh, yeah, Tenement's one of the ones that I would repeat all the time when I was a kid because, you know, there's it's, it's a uh, sketch that is the, a play that's with a lot of, dirty language in it and it's it really replaced all the dirty language with language that's not so dirty so like even today i still repeat things like um you know i've had enough of your tinkle tinkle contest or uh you know it's it's a (laughs) classic bit of it's just take out the profanity and put in something else and it will be fine it's it's still true love that episode of limitless that did that like this 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 year this like january oh man tears Limitless, um, but uh, but it's it, I mean it, it is funny twenty years ago. It's funny now as it was twenty years ago. Yeah, exactly. And so yeah, and uh, at the time as a as a teenager, where you know you're constantly surrounded by authority figures, and me being someone that wants to behave in front of authority figures, because as much as a, a rebel as I was for liking the state, I was a square too. And I would love to be able to use those phrases and be able to substitute those phrases in for, for language that was dirty. And the state made it okay to do. And the other thing I wanted to bring up was the Inbred Brothers. Because, oh, because the Inbred Brothers is definitely a New York City vision of what the South is. 
And it's, it, you know, if we're going to talk about like different perspectives, like it's not just about race or gender. It's also a little bit of regionalism with the state. And uh, the Inbred Brothers seems to be like one of those visions of like, yeah, of, of Southern life. So lazy. It's very lazy. At the time, I remember it being very funny, but it's very lazy. And like watching it now, you know, a lot of the sketches where Thomas Lennon had to pretend to be someone that was mentally disabled now is kind of offensive. There's a lot of that, actually. I was surprised yeah. how much there. I'm like, wait a second. The, oh, the, the joke in the serial commercial is that these people are neuroatypical or they have yeah. mental handicaps. And yeah. that's what's funny. Camarino's really committing to pouring that milk on himself, but that is very like, but that doesn't matter because it's really offensive. It's really offensive. Yeah, it's really bad. There's one Thomas Lennon does a beer commercial or he does an audition oh, for a beer commercial. Oh, and no. basically he's just doing the inbred brothers voice while he's doing the audition for the commercial. And like, I, I like, I see what they're saying, or at least I'm maybe I'm rationalizing what they're saying, but you know, they're making a comment of what beer commercials are like, or what the, the, the characters for beer commercials come off as. But at the same time, you're watching them make these voices and these sounds and you're just like, Oh no, that's not good. Don't do that. Don't do that. Thomas Lennon. Ouch. Yeah. No. Um, I want to give some love to uh, Joe, Joe, Joe Trulio. Um, yeah. Uh, especially, f- uh, he felt like very much the, like a utility player for them in a lot of instances, which is great because he's hilarious in Brooklyn Nine Nine. Um, but I really like Barry Toink. Um, <laughs> especially like he's so committed to that character in Bookworm, which is like one of my favorite sketches where he's trying to figure out the word for a guy who loves books so he can make fun of the nerd. It's just, <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny. And just like they, they go to the, like the, they go to like one of the like principles or something. And he's just like bibliophile. And he's just like, yeah, no, no, not that. Uh, it's just like, this is really good. And Jump he's check. just, yeah. He's so into it, and I just, I really, really liked that character a whole lot. And uh, just, but the, only in that specific instance, because I didn't really like Kabuki Doug or Ant- his role in Antonio that much. Yeah. But I really like him in Bookworm, and the less said about Kabuki Doug probably is. Yeah, let's better. not talk about Kabuki too much. That's uh, so, so much, so rough, so rough. What about you, Kate? Was there anything else that stood out to you in particular? Well, um,. That's interesting. So the Kabuki Doug, that one I didn't have that much trouble with because it didn't feel like they were mocking the form or the style, but instead their characters. So like I, because that didn't, that yeah. felt like, so I was like that, that one didn't feel as problematic to me or as, you know, racist or culture, <laughs> culturally insensitive or whatever you want to whatever the appropriate terminology would be. Um, surprisingly enough, because when they started that sketch, I was like, oh no, this is... But then I thought that they were actually respectful of the on the on of the form, but maybe that's... I If I'm being a stupid white girl, listeners, please email in and let me know. I I would love to hear from people who are not a white girl just coming to this stuff now uh, on your opinions <laughs> on it. Um, but for the, the only thing I wanted to mention that we haven't really touched on um, is that... Because we, we, there are certain names that... TV fans and um, fans of like 
shows that are currently on right now will be more aware of. So like Joe Latrulio, I was so glad he's cast in Brooklyn Nine-Nine and he's killing it over there because he was one of the less uh, visible members of the state uh, compared to, you know, somebody like um, like a Camarino or even just David Wayne as a director. Um, but pretty much, I, I, th- I think it's a very consistent group. So we haven't mentioned Kevin Allison. We haven't mentioned Todd Hollebeck. Uh, really, we haven't mentioned Michael Showalter, who's so good as Doug and as different characters as well. I do think it's not a situation where there's one or two people who um, shine more than the rest of the group. I do think uh, as a whole, at least in the, the episodes I watched, uh, or oh, Robin Grant, we haven't mentioned him either, um, that it is a very, um, like, they're, they're all of a par with each other. And I appreciated that when you have a, a cast that large, that you don't just have one breakthrough character or one breakthrough performer who then gets every sketch while it's not an even, you know, they're not, they don't share the time evenly probably because like, as you guys were saying, there is some difference in interest in who is going to be on camera. Uh, but I think as a whole, it's very consistent. Um, the delivery and when the different performers took on different characters, they pretty much embraced it and did like really deliver it on them. So um, I, I was surprised by how consistent when you have 10 or 11 people in the cast, you don't necessarily expect them to be that consistent. You expect weaker points. And I didn't really see that. Yeah, it's true. The, the whole cast is strong and, and they all have their strong suits. I mean, Michael Ian Black introducing all the sketches. He was he was like kind of like that front man. And, uh, you know, Ken Marino, that paisano. And, um, yeah, I mean, they all had Thomas Lennon was always that, that cool, calm, collected, but able to, but with the stellar beyond time comic timing. Uh, they all yeah, they all had their strong suits. And that was that was kind of like the, the best part about the state was that they were all so good at things, but they were all also so they kind of felt like. They felt like your friends. It's not like an SNL where everybody seems like distant. They, you know, they're all star performers and they're all in so many different things. But when the state was on, like they were, they were your buddies. Like they were, they were in it with you. And uh, you know, they're and so they, they, when they went off to do like better things, they it was like watching your friends go do better things. It's like oh my. You know, two of my buddies wrote Herbie the Love Bugs remake. Oh, that's great! <laughs> and Night at the Museum. That's that was awesome. That's awesome. You know, and uh, seeing Michael Ian Black on um, uh, on Ed, and you know now on on Twitter, he's a superstar. You're just like you're just it's like like all your friends are doing well, and you're glad you're happy for him. Yeah. I think that's a great note to end on. So thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Nick, for coming on uh, and and getting me to watch the state. Because again, like I. I enjoy sketch comedy a lot more than I used to, but I would never set time aside to catch up with these different shows. So I always appreciate when I get a chance to fill in a gap in my, especially in my comedy knowledge. So thank you so much for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. Where can our listeners find you in your work online? So yeah, right now I'm covering Pretty Little Liars on uh, tvguide.com. I'm doing a, I do a, a review of it every week. Uh, I'm also on Twitter at SonoNick. And um, you can also listen to me on the Super Serial podcast. Also, every week comes out every Monday, where we talk about serial and uh, a lot of a lot of other things, but mostly serial. <laughs> well, that's the important thing, right? Ser- it's the important part. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, thank you once more, Nick, for coming on, and thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. Mm-hmm.